Welcome in, everybody. It is episode 32 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. Another busy week in sports as uh, the Giants and Jets both had action this Sunday. The Giants picking up their first win of the season, which Rob and I predicted that they would against the Washington football team. They get a win 20-19, to and the Jets... Do you really expect me to come on here and say anything differently about the Jets? An abysmal performance again. They get shut out. They lose 24-0 to the Dolphins. Uh, the World Series is being played right now. The Rays are up 1-0 on the Dodgers in Game 2. The Dodgers took a 1-0 series lead last night with an 8-3 victory. Now the Rays looking to even things up tonight. So there's certainly a lot on the docket. I'm in a good mood tonight, Rob. What about you? Am I in a good mood? Eh, I'm not in a great mood, but I'm not in a bad mood. Yeah, I'm in a great. I'm in a great mood. I'm, I'm in a great always mood, happy man. to do the podcast. This makes me happy. So. Well, me too. But I've been. I've overall been in a, in a pretty good mood these last few days. I started. Uh, I started a diet on Monday. Started exercising, doing some workouts. It's good for the soul. Gets you. Uh, oh yeah, I know. I went back to the gym myself. Back to my trainer a couple of weeks ago. As it, you know, I mean, I listen. I was doing my own workouts at home, but it's a lot different when you go back to the gym and you have a personal trainer there, kind of, you know. So for a solid hour, hour and a half, it feels good. It definitely rejuvenates you. It makes you feel energized for sure. Gets the oxygen level going. Gets the blood circulating. So yeah, and for me, just, and where are you uh, go? Where are you going to work out? I've just been doing home exercises. Home I've exercise. been elliptical, doing some, right. doing some. You know, I'm not using any weights, but just doing free weight stuff. You know, just uh, resistance bands are very good. Go on Amazon and get yourself the heavy resistance bands. Those things are excellent. They do. They do. I, I I used to use the resistance bands when I played baseball. Yeah, they're very good. They really get the get. And the they uh, they don't strain your, your your ligaments and your tendons or anything either. So it's easy, a little bit easier on the body. So let's start off with the Giants, uh, because like I said, I'm in a good mood. So let's talk about a team in New York who actually won this weekend. Yeah, that's a good idea, Andrew, because we've been starting out with the Jets the last few weeks, and we, you know what? It's nothing but misery. Right. It's abysmal. Just an abysmal performance again for the Jets. And we'll we'll get into the Jets. We'll break it down. But let's start off with the Giants. So like I said before, Rob and I both predicted that the Giants were going to get their first win this weekend. They defeat the Washington football team 20 to 19. Uh, certainly a, not even close to a perfect performance for the Giants. Uh, but they made a couple plays when they had to. They had a big defensive touchdown. Tay Crowder with the fumble recovery. He returned for a touchdown. Uh, yet again, though, another mistake from Daniel Jones. You know, a time-consuming drive for the Giants. They get down in the red zone. He throws an interception in the end zone. Just one of those mistakes that you can't have. And listen, I think I've seen I've seen flashes from Daniel Jones. I think I've seen flashes of of, of good quarterback play on a more consistent basis from Daniel Jones. Than I have from Sam Darnold, but I have to be fair because I've criticized Darnold. I have to get on Daniel Jones because these aren't little outliers. And yeah, you know, every quarterback makes a mistake once in a while. No, this is this is a couple times now we're starting to see the same mistake happen from Daniel Jones. And that's when you start to fear a little bit that they're not learning and that they're never going to deviate from that. Um, because, I mean, this happened in week one against the Steelers. Another time-consuming drive for the Giants. They get down to the red zone on a play where he looked like maybe he was trying to throw the ball away and didn't get enough air under it. I know against the Steelers, he he was he said he wanted to throw the ball away, and he got hit by Dupree as he was trying to do it, so the ball went straight up in the air. But, you know, you just have to have the wherewithal as a quarterback, Rob, to just know when to just take the sack or when to throw the ball away or when to just give yourself up. And I like the aggressiveness from Jones, but there's certain scenarios where the aggressiveness 
uh, works and there's certain areas where we don't need the aggressiveness and we just need the conservative play. Um, and the Giants actually lucked out at the end of that game because the the Washington goes down the field and they score a touchdown. And instead of kicking the extra point to tie the game and send it into overtime, they opt to go for two. Terrible play call on the two-point conversion, and they end up falling short, and the Giants win by one point. And, and I think that's another conversation that we'll have about Ron Rivera's decision uh, to go for it, but we'll stick with the Giants for now. Uh, what are you seeing from Daniel Jones, and, and has your has he met your expectations? And through six weeks of the season, are you impressed? Are you content? Are you looking for more? Well, look, he, he, he just, you know— he certainly hasn't met our expectations yet, Andrew, because I expected a little bit more out of him. But at the same time, uh, you, you know, you, you see you see some flaws in that offensive line. And I hate keep going back to the offensive line. But, you know, he, he is under constant pressure a lot. Although the line played a little bit better uh, on Sunday and, you know, Andrew Thomas was benched to start that game for a rules violation, showed up to a, a meeting late on Saturday night. So they inserted Matt Burt. At left tackle and actually Matt Pert actually played a pretty good game and he was actually splitting snaps with Andrew Thomas, which Joe Judge has been doing with a lot of the different positions uh, on defense and offense. He's been switching a lot of guys. And, you know, you look at a guy like you mentioned, Tay Crowder, who returns that fumble for the uh, ultimately the winning touchdown. Uh, you know, that's Mr. Irrelevant there. He was the last pick of, of the NFL draft. You know, so he, he's playing all these different guys and he's given everybody minutes, which. I'm kind of impressed with that he's doing this, Joe Judge. He's given everybody a shot. He's used numerous defensive backs, numerous different linebackers, and uh, uh, the defensive line, and, and he's he's swapping out offensive linemen at times. Cam Fleming's coming out. He's inserting Matt Pert. So he's giving guys a chance to play, different receivers. So I, I kind of like that. But going back to Daniel Jones, yeah, he, look, that it was a costly mistake with that interception. I, he had the right idea to throw it away, but you know what? You got to throw that ball into the second deck. You got to throw it into the second get into the second deck. You you can leave no doubts. I, I see a guy Andrew that is playing scared, and I think it's these turnovers that he's had to start his career, and, and he's playing scared and he's playing tentative because you see him in the pocket at times and he's holding the ball way too long. Now, it looks like Jason Garrett has designed some plays, some running plays, actually, for Daniel Jones, which kind of, you know, it kind of makes you cringe a little bit because you don't want you to see a quarterback taking hits. And it was a couple of times where, you know, he's showing toughness, Daniel Jones, and I give him that, but I don't want my quarterback lowering his shoulder. I, I think there's got to come a time where they got to tell him, listen, just let it rip and don't worry about it. If the mistakes come, the mistakes come, we'll try and correct them. Because you cannot play scared in this league. You start playing scared in this league, and, and you're never going to succeed. You know, it's growing pains for this quarterback. And, you know, I, look, me and you said it, Andrew, from the get-go about Josh Allen. You look at Josh Allen and the mistakes that he made to start his career and, and, and the inaccuracies, and he was terrible the other night, I thought. I thought he was awful the other night. And even the game against Tennessee the week before, I thought he was awful as well. So you see growing pains. You know, everybody's sitting there hyping up Josh Allen as the MVP and how, you know, uh, you know he can end up an arm. But, you know, Josh Allen is, is still an incomplete quarterback here. So, you know, it is growing pain. So I told you I'm going to give Daniel Jones a chance. Have I liked what I've seen so far? Not really. I mean, there's only been a few moments that I've, I've really, really, 
you know, liked what he's done. But for the most part, the last couple of games, it's just been really a cautious Daniel Jones. And uh, it's also a cautious Joe Judge because there's a couple of times where they had they had uh, a fourth and goal at the one yard line. They call a timeout. I thought he should have went for it right there. It was actually, you know, uh, uh, maybe even a half a, a half a yard, not even a full yard. But I thought he should have went for it at that point right there. I really, really did because you had listen. Worst comes to worst, you have the team, you have the Redskins backed all, not the Redskins, the Washington football team backed up on their own goal line. So you got to be aggressive. And then it was another situation which uh, I. It, I didn't like it, and I understood why he did it because I figured this was what he was going to say, and ultimately he did say it in the post game. They were at the at the at the Washington 38 yard line, and it's fourth and two, and he elects to punt. I would not have punted there, not on the 38 of, of the of of the opposition. I, I go for it there, but he felt like his defense was playing well. But if your defense is playing well and you have confidence in your defense, then go for it from there. Then just go for it from the 38. Then if you if you feel that confident in your defense, so I thought it's a it's a cautious Joe Judge, and I think it's because he just he sees all the inconsistencies in his quarterback and his running game uh, and his offensive line. So you know he's playing it close to the vest now. Tomorrow night you got two teams that might set football back about 50 years, Andrew, because both teams have a ton of injuries. Um, and neither team is playing well. Neither quarterback is playing well, although Wentz has played better the last couple of games, and he's another guy that's devoid of talent right now on the offense. So, you know, they'll have no Miles Sanders there. Deshaun Jackson, I believe, will be coming back, who, who's always a giant killer at some point. So this is, a, you know, believe it or not, Andrew, it's a big game for both teams, especially for the Giants. If they win this game, they're a half a game out of first. And albeit they're two and five, but you know what? You're a half a game out of first. That's the bottom line in the NFL. That's it. So let's see what happens. Maybe that win the other day energized them. I know you you talked about the Ron Rivera um, um, uh, play call there. Well, not so much. It was the play call. wasn't a great play call. But I do like – I did like going for it on that, uh, that two-point conversion to win the game at the end. I don't know how you thought about it, Andrew, but I love the aggressiveness of it. It's a young team. They're one and four, okay? They're one and four. It's a young team. You're trying to teach them how to win games. And ultimately, yes, it did not work out. But you know what? You're not guaranteed to win that game in overtime. You got the ball in your hands needing two yards to basically win the game because it was 14 seconds left, I believe. And you have two yards to go just to win. The game's over then probably at that point. You go into overtime, you lose a coin toss, and the Giants win, score a touchdown. You know, you lose the game without even getting a shot. Well, if the Giants kick a field goal and you don't even have a, you know, maybe you don't kick a field goal yourself. So you got the ball in your hands. I like the aggressiveness, uh, aggressiveness that uh, a play called by Rivera. I understood why he did it. So, and I'm sure you're going to give me your opinion on it, Andrew. And I have a funny feeling you're going to disagree with me. Yeah, I, I disagree a thousand percent because if that game goes to overtime, Washington wins the game. I mean, look well, at that, how, how that entire. Because the entire second half, the Giants' offense was inept. Absolutely right, but, he, inept. but he, here's one other thing. You remember something? They had they had a, a pretty time-consuming drive there, and the Giant defense was on the field for a long time that last touchdown drive. And he's probably also figuring the defense is worn out at this point right now. And the Giant defense looked like they were worn out. 
So I, I understood where he went with this, but it's no guarantee. You can't tell me, well, they definitely would have won the game in overtime. We don't know that. We do know one thing. They had a shot. That, you had the ball in your hands for two yards. I love the aggressive play call. I really, really do. Yeah, but you definitely have a chance to win. And, and like I said, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You, you don't know for sure if they would have won. But just judging by the way that the end of that game was going, I had I had all the faith in the world in Washington winning that game if went into overtime. And look, the the defense was doing a pretty good job for the, for the entire second half. You know, they had the time-consuming drive, but then the Daniel Jones interception, that was the only glimmer of, of, uh, of offensive production the Giants had in the second half. But... I mean, let's remember that Washington defense, although it's not a, it's not a team that has a lot of talent on it, that front four Washington can really wreak havoc. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan, that front that front line is really good for Washington. So they were constantly getting pressured, ta- getting pressure on Daniel Jones, taking advantage of a poor, a poor offensive line play once again. I just had all the faith in the world that Washington was going to win that game. And Ron Rivera is known for doing that throughout his career, so I'm not going to sit here and, and completely Ron. criticize him. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize him because obviously that's the way he coaches, and he he's not going to deviate from that either. That that's what he does. So I can't necessarily get on him for not doing something that everyone in the world knew that he wasn't going to do, which is kick that extra point. I knew he was going to go for it. And yeah. look, in certain situations, I I may agree, but just with the just with the complexion of that game and and how it was unfolding and the momentum at the moment. I just had a feeling that Washington would win that game if we went into overtime. And to me, if you're going to go for two, you have to make sure that you have a play that's going to work. That play had no chance of working from the second the ball was snapped. No, you need to make play. sure you call, you got to make make sure you have a play to call that can get you two yards because two yards isn't a lot to get when you call something like that, which was just a terrible. Kyle Allen rolling out. By the way, he could have ran. Kyle Allen could have ran that ball in for the two-point conversion. I, I, and I and thought he, he was going to do that because he had it. He had an opening there. But he's Kyle Allen. You know, he, he's yeah. he, he's not that good. <laughs> yeah, me, me and my father were screaming at the television when, when he did that. We were just he's saying, run it good. in, run it in. You have room, run it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't no, do it. He's not that good. But look, the Giants got a win out of it. You, 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 never, you never apologize for how you played. As long as you come out of there with a win, you don't care. They didn't you know, cover, though. The NFL? And no, well, yeah. I, well, you know, I, I didn't think the Giants would cover. Even if it was only three, I didn't think they'd cover. I, I thought, you know, I figured that, you know, the Giants struggling for a win, this was not going to be an easy game for them to win. Plus the fact everybody and their mother was, was saying how the Giants were going to win this game. All right, but, so you know, while, while we're on the conversation of going for two, and we're on the conversation of the Giants not covering, I think this just intertwines perfectly. This is a really good segue into one quick conversation I wanted to have before we get into the Jets. Your best bet of the week was oh, the Texans oh. getting three and a half. Oh, it was actually four. Up. It was four because I bought it up a half a point to oh, four. You it, okay, you, yeah. you bought it up yeah. to four. So, After being down, oh, man. So the Texans, they're, they're down early. I know what you're going to come to. I know what you're going to say. So you you don't even have to. What, Cornell decision when it was on seven, tried to put it on nine? Yes, yes, yes. So late late in the fourth quarter, uh, the the Texans have a 30-29 lead. Deshaun Watson throws a touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. It puts them up by seven. Instead of kicking the extra point and making it an eight-point game and forcing the Titans with a minute 50 to go all the way down the field, score a touchdown, and score a two-point conversion just to send it to overtime, Romeo Crennel, who, by the way, is the interim head coach now because Bill O'Brien was fired. Romeo Crennel decides to go for it, to go for the two-point conversion, to make it a nine-point game and make it a two-possession game, which would essentially make the game over. 
and they didn't get it. And that's another decision that I just vehemently disagree with. And it ended up screwing screwing everyone who bet on the on the Texans for sure because what happens? The Titans go right down the field. They score a touchdown. A.J. Brown catches the ball on the corner of the end zone. They kick the extra point, send it to overtime. And then the, the drive in overtime was just the Derrick Henry show as he just willed his way all the way down the field, scores the winning touchdown. Titans move to 5-0. and well, you know, we, we you have to bring up the fact what we were talking about during the week when we were exchanging text messages, what Vrabel did. That was a that was that was typical, you know, right out of the Belichick playbook. And I believe Vrabel Vrabel did that once before, Mike Vrabel. He did it once yes. before the Tennessee yes, coach, he where he took that penalty with three minutes and twenty. He saved himself forty seconds by by pretending like he had twelve men on the field, stopping the clock, and saved himself about forty seconds. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just being aware, man. That's being yeah, aware. Take it, take I love I love the, the job that Rabel's done. I love it. I mean, he's done a terrific job there. Last couple of years, man, he really has. I love what he's done there. But yeah, you know, I, I'd be a hypocrite to say that I, I, I disagree with what Cornell did because I, I'm a I'm the type of guy that likes to play aggressive. And, and you know, again, you're you're looking at that game and you're saying, wow, you know, the Texans were moving the ball all over the Titans in that second half. You know, they were down 14 early. They came back, and Deshaun Watson was on fire that second half. And you figure, all right, let's ride it. Listen, what's the worst that could happen? They score a touchdown, and they kick an extra point. You know, but they still have to score a touchdown here. So I could understand his reasoning there. You could give him a little bit of a pass there because, they, you know, by, by saying that you're going to go up eight, then you're almost banking on them, maybe thinking they're going to score a touchdown, even though, you know, why would you have confidence in the Texans defense? I get it. But still, you're up seven. You're up the touchdown and the extra point, which, by the way, is no – I tell you the truth, these extra points have become just as tough, than the, just as, tough as, as the two-point conversions are. I mean, man, Harrison Butker's been making uh, – been missing extra points, for God's sake. You know, he's I been the he's best been kicker in the league. So yeah, be, besides him and, and Will Lutz being the best kickers in the league coming into this season, you know, he's been missing a ton of extra points. You've seen a lot of extra points missed, so that's not a given either. But I do like the aggressiveness. I can't, you know, I, I, I under, and again, I understand the other side of it. I certainly do. I'm not arguing either way about it. But I, me personally, I like the aggressiveness of it. I like if you could bury a team from two yards away, then bury a team. So that's the way I look at it. You know, I mean, look, it, it, it helps if you have an offensive line and a running back like Derrick Henry. It certainly makes it a hell of a lot easier when you when you need two yards. But, you know, Tennessee actually suffered a, a big injury with Taylor Lewan being out for the year, tore his ACL. So going to see what happens with that, that offensive line. But, you know, going back to the Giants, yeah, they got a big game against the Eagles. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I just I, I really, really hope that. They, they come out and play a little bit more aggressive. Now, it looks like they might get back Sterling Shepard, which will certainly help their, their passing game because they could use that other receiver. And then with Shepard, Tate, Ingram, and hopefully Slayton should play. I know he hurt his toe or his foot on the touchdown catch the other day. And, again, it's another turf issue with the Meadowlands going on. Who the hell knows what's going on over there? But he was just trying to stop himself, and he hurt his foot. But so hopefully, you know, the Giants have a, a full contingent, you know, on their offense with, the, you know, Freeman looks, he looks like he's getting better, getting his legs under him. So the Giants will have their full arsenal there where the Eagles will not. So something the Giants can take advantage of. And again, I'll be honest with you, you know, 14 straight games, the Giants have lost to the Eagles and Cowboys combined. So I can't be too confident in this game. But again, this is a game that they really should win. There's no reason why they should not win this game with the struggle that the Eagles have had. But 
The Eagles put miracles out of their asses against the Giants. You know, going back to Deshaun Jackson's punt return and going back to Jake Elliott's 62-yard field goal. I mean, it just – I mean, some of the heartbreaking losses that they've had. And I don't expect this game to be easy by any means on Thursday night. But any which way the Giants can come out of this game with a win would be very, very good because it'll kind of – it'll energize the fan base and it'll energize the Giants themselves because, again, it'll be a half a game out and the way Dallas has played, Andrew – Man, this NFC East is really in trouble because you look at the quarterbacks in this division right now, Andrew. Oh, my God. I mean, Wentz is the best quarterback in the division. It's not saying much, but the Cowboys, man, oh, man, they got problems. And now yeah. they're starting to go back at their coach. And and everybody has been saying that signing Andy Dalton as a backup was one of the best moves of the offseason. He's going to be the best backup quarterback in football. And him coming in after the Dak injury – it was basically just a foregone conclusion that he was going to have success because of all the offensive weapons they have. That might have been one of the most pathetic quarterback performances I've ever seen on Monday night. And it surprised me. And I'm a Steelers fan who's been watching Andy Dalton play the Steelers twice a year for the past eight seasons. And how badly he performed on Monday night was shocking to me. And I've seen him wet the bed during prime time. I've seen him throw countless interceptions. I've seen him miss open receivers by 15 yards. I know how bad of a quarterback Andy Dalton can be. And it was shocking to me. That division is just completely up for grabs. Oh, it's abominable, that division. And, you know, the one thing you got to say, you know, Dallas too. I mean, listen, you don't make excuses, but at the same time, every single offense, starting offensive lineman on Dallas is hurt. Every single one. They're on their backups. And sometimes they're on their third string. So, it, you know, look, it, it wasn't a bad signing to sign Andy, sign Andy Dalton. He's a guy that's taken his team to the playoffs a few times, although he never had success in the playoffs. So I'm not saying Andy Dalton is great, but you know what? What's the alternative? Ben Benucci? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know it, it's not a bad backup to have. And, and again, he came in against the Giants. And, of course, you know, as, as, as it would have it, again, with the Giants, with backup quarterbacks, this is in their history. Dalton comes in and leads him to a victory against the Giants. But he was terrible the other night. But you know what? So was Ezekiel Elliott, Andrew. Fumbled twice early in that game. Yep. I mean, I, I, it came to the point where he was running out of bounds with the ball because he didn't want to get tackled inbounds and, and risk fumbling. Yeah, you and, can't and, have that. And, and for two straight drives after the two fumbles, they had him on the bench and they had Tony Pollard carrying yeah. the ball and catching balls. Well, you had to. So, you know, it's not all on Dalton. I, I think Dalton is a serviceable quarterback, and he has some weapons there. I think he'll play good in spurts for Dallas. Now, you know, is it enough to lead them, you know, to, to a division win? Hey, who knows? In this division, anything can happen here. I mean, look at the quarterbacks in this division. There's one worse than the other right now. So I got to wonder, too, because – and I brought this point up before with the Steelers talking about Mason Rudolph's development and how – you couldn't really live with Rudolph's growing pains last season as a rookie quarterback or as a as a quarterback starting for the first time because of the fact that he had so much talent around him and there was a chance that they could still make the playoffs. So they, they ran a little bit of a conservative, cautious playbook with him because they were scared of him making mistakes because they were still trying to win games. I have to wonder if some of that is happening with the Giants right now as they sit at one and five, but they're only a game and a half out of the division or a game out of the division lead right now. At one and five, yeah, the Cowboys two and four, so they're only a game out of the div- out of the vi- division lead. You have to wonder if maybe Joe Judge and, and the coaching staff and Jason Garrett is maybe 
not willing to live with the, the with the growing pains right now and and playing a little bit more cautiously because they're trying to win games because they feel hey even though we're not where we want to be yet and this is still a rebuilding phase we could still win this division yeah well the problem with that though i'll be honest with you you know they gotta be as much as their defense looks good statistically on paper their defense really is not playing great they're making some plays but they are missing a ton of tackles. Their, their biggest problem, the Giants, ton is of they, tackles. Can't, they can't get off the field on third down. Oh, my God. They can't get off the field on third down. They're missing tackles. So although it looks good on paper and at times, you know, you're starting to see Fackrell has played very well and Blake Martinez has played very well. So those And Bradbury has played terrific. So three signings that Gettleman had in the offseason has really, really played well for the Giants, you know, and thank God for that. The defensive line, Leonard Williams, the trade that he made for Leonard Williams right now looks pretty good. Leonard Williams has three sacks right now, and he's playing well, you know, and, and, and he's a versatile player. I mean, so, you know, right now they got some players on defense, but, man, they got to just shore up the tackling right now. And it seems like Patrick Graham is scheming it out the right way, right way. but although Patrick Graham is a, is a press man type guy in coverage, they're playing a lot of zone to Giants as well. So, you know. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, this Eagle team, I don't expect, I expect the giant defense to at least play, you know, serviceable Thursday. I mean, how could you not, you know, the Eagles don't have much. I mean, Travick Volgum, I mean, he's been their best receiver, Greg Ward. I mean, they don't even have Zach Ertz. He's out. So, you know, they're definitely devoid of, 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 uh, of, uh, of, of talent. They're on offense right now because of the injuries, the Eagles and giants seem like they'll have their full contingent there with, with Shepard. You know what? You got to loosen the reins on Jones. You got to see what this kid could do. You can't make him play scared just for the sake of 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 trying to win a division that you're going to probably win it at seven and nine and then get your ass kicked in a playoff game. You know, it's all about development. And that leads you to who, Andrew? Who, what does this lead you into right now? As far it, le- as it leads you in, it leads you into what the Miami Dolphins decision was. At three and three and one game out of out of the division lead, they 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 took the reins away from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who maybe might, might have been playing the best football of his career at this point, and they put in Tua. And and why? Because you know what? They they it, it's about development. It's not about you know uh, having a shot to win a division or a shot to to maybe make the playoffs as a wild card. Because look. What are their chances of beating teams like the Chiefs right now? You know, it, it, slim and none, to be honest with you. They're not even as good as the Bills probably. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's the development of the quarterback. That's it. They drafted this kid in, uh, with the sixth overall pick. They took him ahead of Justin Herbert. They're starting to see the success that guys like Herbert have had and Joe Burrows had, albeit that's not leading to wins. But still, they 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 put up some some hefty numbers there in those two quarterbacks, and they look good in doing it. They're not just putting up fantasy stats; they look good in doing what they're doing. So, and, you know, they lost a couple of tough games. The Chargers themselves, with the Chargers always in, it's their history. So, you know, the Dolphins, you know, they they said, you know what, they made an organizational decision to put two in there themselves, and they said, listen, we're three and three, but you know what, it's all about developing the quarterback now. So. You know, the Giants did that back in 2005, 2005, 2006, yeah, 2000, with Eli 2005 when, uh, you know, Kurt Warner was the quarterback. And, oh, Kurt Warner wasn't playing great. He wasn't playing great at all, but the Giants were 5-4 and four in the playoff spot. But you know what? 
for the sake of the developing of the quarterback and Eli, they took out one and they put Eli in, and that started the whole Eli Manning career. I I, I get it. You know, I get it. I, I mean, although I, you know, I mean, you, me and you were going back on the text messages today with the, with the Dolphins and the veteran players and some of the players on that team maybe disagreeing with it. Now, the mistake that they made, and Brian Flores came out and admitted to it to today, he said, I should have went to Ryan Fitzpatrick first instead of letting him finding out, you know, through the media and through other sources. He didn't get to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that was a mistake. You, you know what? He should have went to him before he said anything to anybody, even to Tua, and explained it to Ryan Fitzpatrick and let him know what was going on. Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves that sort of respect. Now, he does. He does, and, and he is playing very good football, but – I do agree with you on the fact that this is the direction that the franchise is heading. And, and, you know, you hear so many people and I've never I've never understood this. I really haven't about, you know, when you draft someone, have them having them sit for a year to develop. I've never bought into that. If you're going to draft a quarterback as high as fifth overall, they shouldn't need to sit down for a year. You, well, you how, how, how did it work five? out for Mahomes? <laughs> he was drafted well, the, to 10. You know, right. how to work out for him. He sat for a year behind Alex Smith. I right, mean, look, but, look, but you were, can look at it. They were a playoff from, team. They were a right, playoff you, team. Right. But you can look at it from both sides of, of the equation. And Miami could be, you know, Miami's 3-3. Three three, they could be a playoff team this year. I mean, you know, look at the way they finished out, too, last year. You know, they finished up strong last year. And, and, and they started out strong this year. My only concern right now, Andrew, is with the health issues that Tua has had and the injuries. They have a very young offensive line, Miami, with two rookies starting on an offensive line. So, you know, you have to be careful with Tua and his health. And the first game, he plays against the Los Angeles Rams and Aaron Donald next week after their bye. So, yeah. you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll say, listen, maybe Tua comes in and, and goes lights out. You know, who knows? Anything could happen. But I agree with playing him. You know, you, you got to play him. But, you know, again, if you're a veteran on that team or, you're, you know, you've been in the league for two, three years and you haven't made the playoffs yet, and this happens, you know, you're probably a little disappointed because of the way Fitzpatrick was playing. But again, you know, listen, Tua complete could, I mean, listen, he can go lights out to us. So we'll see what happens. Well, that's prime. That's prime Ryan Fitzpatrick, though. He plays well in the beginning of the season and then falls apart at the end. So there's, yeah. for all we know, it could have been more of the same this year. He was just sure. waiting until week seven, or week nine, or week 10 to, to start falling apart. But like I said before, when you're drafting someone like two at five overall, he wasn't going to sit for the full year, regardless of where the team was sitting. So he was going to play at some point. And you're right about what you said. Look at Joe Burrow. Look at Justin Herbert coming out and lighting it up. So... Miami wants to unveil their their bright and shiny new toy and and see what he's all about. Because you know what? Well, like we've seen, even though you draft a quarterback high, doesn't always mean that they're going to pan out. No. So no. you need to throw him into the fire and, and see what the kid has. He has a clean bill of health. He's been able to get reps behind someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is a seasoned vet. He's a class act. He's a good mentor for Tua. And now you announced the news that he's going to start there in a bye week. So Tua has two weeks to, to mentally and physically prepare to get the start. So if there was a time in the season to do it, this was probably the best time as far as getting him mentally ready to do it. Yeah, and again, it's just a matter of keeping him healthy. Well, again, you know, I, I get, you get concerned with that offensive line because, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick knew when to run. He knew when to get rid of the ball a lot of the times. You know, he's, of course, he's a savvy veteran quarterback. Um, so, you know, you just got to hope that Tua stays healthy because, again, he's had some injury history, you know, in college. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I'm looking forward to watching him. I tell you, more than anything, it's going to be good to see a lefty quarterback. Huh? <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Last lefty quarterback I watched was uh, when Michael Vick had a Steelers uniform on. Vick, well, what about, uh, well, I mean, Kellen Moore with, with Dallas. I mean, he's their offensive yeah. coordinator now. He was yeah. there, right? Kellen Moore. Michael Kellen Vick, Moore's yeah. Born. So it'll yeah. be it'll be interesting, you know, to see the lefty quarterback. And, you know, again, too, was another quarterback, another, another guy, not big in stature, you know, s- small guy, not a big guy. Not a big yeah. guy, but you know, as long you, as you're able to keep him upright, I think that he could be effective. the The only concern with Tua coming in was his health. That's it. He's got all the intangibles. He's got all the tools to succeed. Yeah, hundred percent. And even though Miami wasn't wasn't supposed to go to the playoffs or anything this year, I mean, they do have some good. Uh, they have, do have some pretty good offensive weapons. I mean, Miles Gaskin has really been productive out of the backfield for them. He had a really good game on Sunday. Um, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, who is actually banked up right now. Mike Gesicki has turned into a, a, a real receiving threat like everyone yeah. expected him to be coming out of Penn State. So they have some good pieces on the offensive side for, for two to work with. Yeah, no, they have they have some weapons there. There's no doubt they have some weapons there. And, you know, they have a good defense. And more than anything, they're so well coached right now. They really, really are. You know, they really are. And I'll tell you, I, I mean, I, I understand I, I maybe criticize his – you know, uh, lack of aggressiveness in that game the other day, uh, Joe Judge. But I tell you, Joe Judge in his press conferences, uh, pre and post game, he says the right things. This guy, even with the whole Andrew Thomas situation, explained it thoroughly. He was clear. He didn't leave any sort of cryptic message. Basically said, "Hey, what he did was a rules violation. Was it the worst thing in the world? No, it was not the worst thing in the world. Doesn't make him a bad kid. But you know something? He broke the rule." And he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to be accountable for it. Period. Stop. It was beautiful. It was clear. Wonderful. That's all you want to hear. So he, he's been good, Joe Judge. And, and I love his explanation on things. He's honest and he's to the point. So I, I really, really like Joe Judge so far. I, I like the way he's handled himself. And again, look, can we judge him right now this year? And we said this from the get from the get go. This is going to be a, a weird year for, for, you know, new coaches. It just is, you know, especially. You know, and that's the other thing that you have to kind of give Daniel Jones a chance. This is a kid that had to get another new system. This is his second system in in the you know in the NFL already that he's got to learn, and he's had no time for it. You know, there were no OTAs, there was no practice time or anything, no preseason games. So this is a system that he's learning still right now. So maybe there's still a learning curve into this. That's why I say, you know what, just give him a shot. Let's see what he could do. Let's see what happens by the end of the year. Because I think I I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I told you, let's let's see him get acclimated to Garrett after after eight games. Let's see what happens. Because then he'll have enough practice time. He'll have enough games played to where, you know what, he should just about be acclimated into it. Let's see what happens. Let's see if he can get on board and 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 get some chemistry back with Sterling Shepard. I mean, we'll see what happens. So, Well, you know what? Here, here's the issue, right? And, and I know in preseason games, when they're played under normal circumstances, a lot of the starters don't play. So the, the lack of preseason games is irrelevant from that point of view. But – the, the not having the OTAs in the training camp like you normally do, it takes away from practice time. And I think the biggest issue, especially when you're bringing a new system in, is you can get acclimated with it from a playbook perspective and you can memorize the plays and know exactly what's going on or what, you know, what's supposed to happen when a certain play is called. That All that stuff you can do remotely. But I think for Jason Garrett, it just took him a little bit of time to try to figure out what the Giants were good at. And and what kind of talent they had in what areas. And losing Saquon Barkley 
sort of threw a big monkey wrench into that because I know you're not a fan of Barkley's running style, but at the end of the day, he's the most talented player on that offense. Well, look, yeah, he's still a weapon. No, yeah. It's, so the it's, identity it's, totally right. changed. It changed. It is no doubt it changed. But you know what? Nobody's going to feel sorry for you in NFL. You know, everybody suffers injuries at key positions. You got to learn to adapt. Right. And if you right. have to adapt on a fly, you adapt on a fly. And that's it. It, it is what it is. And, you know, again, all I want to see is progress from this team. I told you this a hundred times. I don't care if they if they go five and 11, four and 12. That's fine. As long as I see steps being taken to improvement to where I could feel next year. OK, with another good draft and a couple of free agent signings. Hey, we'll be in good in, in a good spot over here. And again, the key is Daniel Jones's progress. That's the key. I can't you know, we can't see him thrown for 115 yards you know, 18 times, 115 yards of running for 100 yards. He's not Lamar Jackson. You know, I, I need to see him stand in a pocket, deliver a ball, not be afraid to throw the ball down the field. Can't be afraid. And it's you're seeing it right now. You're seeing it. And I hate to see stuff like that. I'd rather see him make a mistake and being aggressive. You know, that's it. You're going to have to try and shore up the mistakes. And if you can't in a couple of years, then, you know, you're going to have to make a decision. But you know, you go on to the Jets now, and look, let's not even talk about the Jet-Dolphin game. It's not worth talking about. The bottom line is here here it is, and let's not spend much time on this team because they're really not worth talking about, to be honest with you. The bottom line is this, Andrew. They're tanking for Trevor, and here's the <laughs> and here's all the Jet luck. They're going to tank for Trevor, go 0-16, 1-15, get the first overall pick, and Trevor Lawrence is going to stay at Clemson another year. <laughs> it would be typical Jet-like. That would be such a Jets thing to happen, but I don't think there's a chance that he stays in Clemson. I, I don't I don't think so either, but you never know. Look, nobody thought Peyton Manning would stay that extra year at Tennessee, and you know what? He didn't want to go to the Jets. Yeah, but you know what? You know what the Jets have to do? They get the number one pick. They draft them. They just draft them. That's simple as that. You got to pick them. Pick them and, and deal with the consequences. That's it, because there's really not, not much else. Not, hope in any other areas for this franchise right now that's your saving grace you pick him if the agent says to you hey you pick him he, he's not going to play for you go ahead pick him force their hand that's what you have to do because a lot of times these guys are on a power trip because they know that they're going to be the number one overall pick and a lot of times the agent has a bigger ego than the player but y you have to draft him and see what happens that's it well, That's if this it. kid just no says he's going, he said, if, this kid, if this kid says, listen, I'm 100% going back to college, you just, you're not picking him. You can't well, pick if he's him. going back to college, but I don't think, you know, and, and, yeah. and that's that's the interesting part about it because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you that there's a 99.9% .9 chance he's not going back to Clemson. He could I, say I, I that, though, to try you. to gain some leverage. Right. I, I agree with you. And in that and in that situation, yeah, I understand you, but you know what? The first overall pick, man, you just hate to waste it because if this kid says, I told you not to pick me, I'm going back to college. You know, and he goes back to college. Wow, that that could be a man oh man, a monumental mistake. But you know, look, it's not. Look, the Giants could wind up with the number one overall pick at this point. You know, right now, you know, Tankathon has the Giants as three overall right now, as far as uh, you know, after the first six weeks uh, for the number one overall pick because of that strength of schedule. You know, so the Giants are one and five. Although you know, you look at this Jet schedule, I, I don't see a week where they could win a game. No, it's funny because one of my one of my friends, we actually had this conversation. Uh, I think it was it was the it was the night before the the Thursday night game between the Jets and the Broncos. And a friend of mine said at that point the the Jets and the Giants were both zero and three or whatever it was zero and two zero and three. And 
he says, if you combine the Jets and Giants roster, could they win a game? And, and I thought it was a silly, stupid question. I was like, well, yeah, did both teams could win a game the way they are right now. And the Giants obviously just won a game. But I kind of take back that statement a little bit because, like you said, I, I cannot see this team winning a game. No. Like, At I least you see I the Giants were competitive. Into a win by accident. Right. The Giants were competitive. They had some winnable games. They could have won that Bear game. They could have won that Ram game. They could have won that Steeler game. So there were some winnable games for the Giants there. Yeah, of course, the Giants shoot themselves in the foot. Mistakes were made. But going into the third and fourth quarters, the Giants were in all those games. The only game that they weren't in was the 49er game, and that's it. They were in every other game. The Dallas game was very winnable. I mean, uh, they had that game won. They should have had that game won. Of well, course, like Andy Dalton you, comes they, in and throws two miraculous passes, and Gallup right. makes two terrific catches. But, you know, those are winnable games. So at least the Giants have a, you know, there's a sense that they're going to get a few more wins here, the Giants. Well, like I said to you last week, too, it also falls on the fact that the Giants were in a bunch of winnable games where there were meaningful possessions down the stretch. But this is a young team who did not know how to win yet. And your hope now is that being that they got their first win under their belt, when they get down to these situations in crunch time where they're in the position to win, maybe now it all clicks because they know what it feels like to win. Last yeah, week, so. I know Daniel Jones had his mistakes. And I know the offense was bad in the second half. And the offensive line didn't play great. And you can pinpoint certain areas that need improvement. But we knew the Giants needed improvement coming into this season. And they weren't going to fully resolve all their issues this year. We knew that. But at the end of the day, they found a way to win, which they were not able to do. So make no make no ways about it. This was a very important week for the Giants. The way that the chips fell and the way that they were able to come out with a victory, no matter how it happened. Yeah, Ron Rivera goes for two. He misses it. And they kind of got the win uh, with a ribbon on top of it at the end of the game. But a win is a win. It goes down on the left side of the win-loss column. And it, it's, it, it's monumental for this team moving forward. Because they won't make those yeah. same mistakes at the end of games anymore. I'm I'm sure of it. You, know, you start looking at the Week Seven schedule, and I tell you, you got you got a hell of a game here with your boys, the Steelers, who completely dismantled and blew up the Cleveland Browns. And I tell you, mercifully, Stefanski took Mayfield out of that game because he was catching a beaten. So here you we have, go. So this is a big question I have. Yeah. Okay. And I think I'm probably not the not the best person to answer because I could be biased as a Steelers fan. For you, who did not have a dog in the fight, did that game show you more about Pittsburgh or more about Cleveland? Probably more about Cleveland, only because you know you've seen Pittsburgh play these types of games. It's not like this is you know this, you know they have an aggressive defense. Although now with the with the loss of Devin Bush, you know that's a that's a huge injury on their defense, oh, and that's gigantic. going to hurt them gigantic injury that kid's a hell of a player um and you know so that, why that's so bad is because there is there is nobody that's currently on the roster there's nobody that's available via trade who plays the type of game that Devin right. Bush plays the reason why he's so valuable is because 96 percent of the snaps I believe it is he drops back into coverage yeah no he's a heck of a play and that's that's a that's a major loss to the Steelers defense but I think it's more of an indictment on the Browns because they came into this game and you know Kareem Hunt with the oh we're gonna win this one for Miles and you know coming off a few wins they're at four and one and they haven't they really have no success in beating the Steelers ever um, so you know even even if they lose the game but at least lose a close game where you're in the game. I mean, they got completely blown up from the get-go. It was 24-0 before you could blink your eye. 
Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the pick six and Mayfield looked terrible and the whole entire team looked terrible and Pittsburgh just had their way with them. I mean, they had their way and they just, I mean, the physicality that Pittsburgh showed on them, I tell you the truth, Cleveland quit that game in mid second quarter. You could see it on their, on their body language. So, but you got a big game coming up here with the Steelers and Titans coming up and, you know, two major injuries on both sides. We mentioned them uh, on the show already. First one we just said was Devin Bush and, you know, Taylor Lewan, the, the great left tackle of Tennessee Titans. Let's see how it affects their running game with Derrick Henry, who, oh, my God, what he did to the Texans the other day. My He's God. A, I mean, that guy's think, just Can a you beast. think about the fact that the Titans had Derrick Henry on the roster at the same time they had Mariota for three years and just didn't yeah. utilize him? Just didn't never utilize him. him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me yeah. that they had him sitting in the backfield. For three years without using him, and now you're finally seeing how good he can be. I mean, I've never yeah. seen a guy that's that big that has breakaway speed like he does once he gets through a hole. I mean, I tell you the truth, we're watching the modern day Jim Brown right there. That's what we're watching. So if you know any one of us that are, you know, and even I'm too young to remember Jim Brown. So you know, that's probably the way. From what I've heard people describe it, that's the way Jim Brown was. That physicality, fast. I mean, he's got sprinters type speed, Derrick Henry, and and, and and his stiff arms, my God, it's unreal. So that'll be a gigantic test for the Steelers there. They're playing that game in Tennessee at 1 o'clock. Both teams are 5-0, and so that should be a great game right there. And a, a really, really looking forward to that game. Um, you know, and I'll tell you the truth, this is a bounce-back game. We talked about the Browns before, but they got to play the Bengals. And, you know, the Bengals had a big lead on the Colts, and the Colts wind up coming back to win that game. You know, the Bengals look like they were going to really just blow out the Colts. And all of a sudden, here come the Colts and Phillip Rivers um, coming back to win the game. So, But, you know, the Browns have a big test. It's you know, a divisional game against the Bengals at Cincinnati. You know, this has to be a bounce-back game for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. If they lose this game, then you know what? Enough of the Browns already. Just lose every single game the rest of the season. I don't want to hear all the crap and the hype about the Browns anymore. At 4-1, you're not really buying into it, but you're like, hey, maybe they turned the corner here a little bit. If they don't win this game, man, they got real problems there. The two games they lost were to the Ravens and the Steelers, and they got absolutely blown out in both games. So that that that's who they are. I mean, they're, they're a team that's going to beat bad teams, and they're going to look good in the process, and they're going to get the hype surrounding them because of the fact that there's so many – Big names and and so much talent on the roster, but at the end of the day, it just does not gel together. They don't have an identity. I loved Baker coming out of college, but Baker's just so hot and cold. He's very erratic, and and there's just there's no substance on that offense. You know, I know they have the great running attack, and obviously losing Nick Chubb is big, but Kareem Hunt is more than serviceable. He'd be a number one back on 70% of the teams in the NFL. But it's it, it's. It's strange to me. It's strange how a team with that talent could be just so. And I'm not even going to say dysfunctional anymore because I think Kevin Stefanski has cleaned all that up. But just a team that can't really solidify themselves as a contender, can't find out what their identity is, can't adjust on the fly. They got guys who get disgruntled once they lose. And like you said, Rod, they're down 17 nothing. It looked like those guys wanted to get on the bus and go back home. No, I know. And, you know, I want to get into a couple of um Two things, uh, three things actually. One, one uh, about one of the games. I'll, I'll get that. I'll get that one into uh, the third one. The first one I want to talk about is, uh, you know, we haven't discussed the Le'Veon Bell to the Chiefs. Um, 
I, I tell you, I, I don't know why the Chiefs even did it, to be honest with you, because I tell you the truth, and I know he was on the Jets, but Le'Veon Bell, A, did not show me that much on the Jets at all, even last year. I mean, I don't know if he was disinterested, but you know what? They signed you to a, a $90 million contract. You get interested. He didn't look like he had much left in a tank over there, and I'm not saying he finished. But, you know, I, I, I didn't understand the Chiefs making this move, and no, it's not because they have Clyde Edwards-Elaire on most of my fantasy teams. It's not. It has nothing to do with that. But you know what? This kid, you know, although he's he's not a typical goal line back because he's not that big, you know, you had other backs there that could handle that. And not only that, you know, since when are the, are, are the Chiefs worried about running it in from the two-yard line, for God's sake? Either Mahomes are running it himself or they'll throw the ball to Kelsey. I, I mean, come on. You know, so let's stop. You know, I know Andy Reid said, well, when you have the opportunity to get a great player, you add him to your team. Well, you know what? You didn't need him. You did not need him. It's overkill. You got weapons beyond weapons. For God's sake, the other the, the other day, you know what? They took away your whole passing game. Tyreek Hill did nothing. McCole Hardman didn't even – he got one target the whole game. Sammy Watkins was out. You know, your best receiver is Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. You were throwing the ball downfield. Still had Kelsey there. Elaire ran the ball well. He had 160 yards rushing because you know why? Because the Bills went eight deep and said, you're not going to beat us deep. And the Chiefs said, okay, well, we're going to run the ball on you. That's And that's the recipe for success there. That's it. That's what they're going to have to do because most teams are going to say, you know what? We're not going to let Mahomes throw the ball 50, 60 yards downfield and make this into a video game here. So you know what? The Bills did enough to keep themselves in a the game. And if not for Josh Allen having such a bad game that game, and the, and the Bills also on defense, you know, some stupid penalties. They look like a Greg Williams coach defense there, for God's sake, you know, with some dumb uh, um, personal fouls. Uh, you know, if not for some some bad play and shoddy play by Josh Allen, you know, they could have they were in that game. I mean, they were only one score away, Andrew, getting dominated in the mid fourth quarter. They were still only one score down. They were still only one score down. And, you know, I, I I mean, look, the Chiefs have to find a way. You want to run the ball, fine, run the ball. The defense played a good game, but, again, it was I think the defense played a good game, but it's a combination of the fact that Josh Allen was terrible and the Bills' offense was terrible. They could get nothing going. But I just didn't agree with the whole Le'Veon Bell to the Chiefs situation. I think it's overkill. I, I think sometimes you have too many weapons you know, sometimes you have too much going on, you know, and then you have to worry about what? Getting volume to Le'Veon Bell, getting the ball in his hand, too? I think they're going to utilize him more out of the passing game than they are out of the running game. I, that's I, what it has to be. I don't think so, because Alaya shows he can he can handle the passing game. He can't handle the goal lines because he's 0 for 8 in, inside the 5-yard line, down at the goal line. So, you know, I, I could understand that, but... You know, from all things being considered, they're still going to use Hilaire as their starter and give him the volume of touches and probably just spell him with Bell here and there. But what are you going to do? You drafted this kid in the first round. This kid's been playing 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 well for you. He's been running the ball well. You're going to put him on the bench and what, give him eight carries a game for Le'Veon Bell? I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. I, it, that move didn't make sense for me for the Chiefs. It, because, again, there's plenty of weapons there, man. There's plenty of mouths to feed there, for God's sake. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I with a with a guy that's that talented, I, I do disagree with you on the fact that he has nothing left. I, I think he still has a lot left. Um, I, I, don't I know. think the biggest thing was that he wasn't a fit on the Jets. He's I think got he's got a listen, very unique. I just want to be clear. I don't I don't think he's done. 
but I don't think he he's certainly not near the level of what he was with Pittsburgh by any means. I, I really, really don't. I just don't. I, I don't think he is. Well, as I think talented he, as he is, he's still he's still a system runner with his style of running. And the 100%. Jets were not a fit because the Jets had the, an awful but, offensive but, line. But what makes it the Chiefs offensive line has not played well this year. And, you know, it takes a certain offensive line because, you know, Le'Veon Bell, he's one of those hesitation type runners where your offensive line has to be engaged in on their blocks for, you know, a couple extra seconds of what they're used to before Le'Veon Bell decides to stop, pivot and go, you know, hit the hole and go. Now, who's to say that the Chiefs are equipped to do that? You know, what they're doing right now is just bringing in a name. That's all they're doing. No, well, also you got to remember that the Kansas City runs a lot of wacky formations, and there's so many guys going in motion and different bunch formations yeah, and sets I, I that you've never that. seen before. So the defense is on their heels, and when you when you have the defense on your heels, that that's all the time you need for them to engage. Well, and, listen, and, the jury's going to be the out on the Le'Veon Bell thing. I just you know I, he might not even play this week the same because they don't know if he even knows the playbook yet. But you know what? So it's going to lead me into my next. <laughs> I tell you, I, I don't know what the hell the Seahawks are thinking wanted to bring it in Antonio Brown. I would agree with you. I, what, I, I mean, what do you uh, look? He, 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 he was there with Gruden, gave him a problem. He went to the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. For God's sake, he was living on Tom in Tom Brady's guest house, gave them a problem, got cut from there. You know, he got suspended for the eight games. And, and now the Seahawks want to bring for what reason you got Lockett, you got uh, uh, Metcalf. I mean, David Moore is a serviceable receiver. Do you really need Antonio Brown right now? Do you need that? Do you do you need that? I mean, I understand Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson's there, but you know what? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady couldn't control him. What the hell makes you think that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson will? Well, here's the thing. Here, and I'm just gonna. I don't agree with it, but I'm gonna play devil's advocate just for a second. Uh, I know that you're not really in tune with with. I know you don't have like a Twitter and all that stuff, but uh, Antonio Brown basically built his end off social media, very, very active and outspoken and posting these flamboyant animated videos all the time from the social media world and that side of things. You haven't heard a peep out of Antonio Brown in about five months. Uh, so maybe we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Because he wants to, he, he needs a job help. again. Well, you, you, you listen, as much as I, I don't like the guy and he had the, Picture perfect scenario in Pittsburgh, and he pissed it away. It's fine. It's his prerogative, not mine. But towards the end of that whole saga with New England and Oakland, and and you could tell that there was something off, right? So you're hopeful that the person, not the football player, the person was able to to seek help and and get better. And maybe that's what the Seahawks. Maybe the Seahawks know that he went to therapy and maybe met with somebody, and and maybe that's maybe that's their hope. And also, you got to remember the guy hasn't played football in a while. Uh, and he is 32 years old. So I'm not saying that he's going to fall off a cliff. But, I mean, is the talent level going to be at that point where you can let all that other stuff slide? That Probably I don't not. Know. Probably that not. That I don't know. Yeah. And then, so. and that's another – again, you got to worry about getting him the ball if he's on the field. I mean, you can't – you know, I, I just don't understand what the Seahawks will be thinking. And because that's – listen, it, it's – it seems like it's almost a foregone conclusion, like he's going to go there from everything that you hear. Now, it's not set in stone. You know, it's not 100 percent yet. But if he does go there, I mean, I think the Seahawks are nuts. You're an undefeated team, man. Come on. I mean, Jesus, you're 5-0. and You were first place in NFC West. I mean, cut the crap. Go with your team. You know what? Go get some defensive guys. That's what you need. You don't need uh, Antonio Brown.
I mean, come on. You know, I just don't understand these teams. I don't get them sometimes. I understand, you know what, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches, but I don't know. I just can't agree with that's another move. But, you know, it leads me to my third thing that I wanted to talk about. And that's, I tell you, there's one game here in week seven that I tell you, I it's an interesting game. And that's that 49er Patriot game, man. Because, again, this is a winnable division here. You know, the Bills have shown that, you know, they they got off to that hot start. But you know what? Since Josh Allen hasn't played well the last couple of weeks, they lost the last couple of games to Bills. So, you know, they're at 4-2, I believe, right? 4-2 the Bills are? Yeah, 4-2. Yeah. They're at 4-2 in the, in the AFC East, and, and the Patriots are at 2-3. and three. You know, the Patriots win this game. They're at 3-3. Three and three. They're really basically game out probably, although you got to count up. You, you got to chalk up a game and a half. You got to chalk up a win for the Bills against the Jets. I mean, that's, you know, that's a foregone conclusion already. So the Bills more than likely is going to be five and two, but they'll still be three and three, uh, um, the Patriots. It's, it's basically a must win game for them. And I want to see how they respond because I tell you the truth, they did not play a good game against Denver. It was a terrible game that they played. They made Denver's defense look like the 85 Bears. I mean, you know, there's just nothing going on. It seems like Josh McDaniel cannot click with Cam Newton and the rest of these offensive players. You know, Nikhil Harry's really not doing much. They're expecting stuff out of him. Edelman looks like he's lost without Brady. I mean, for Demir Bird is their best receiver right now, you know. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, again, this is a game the Patriots can win against the 49ers. And it's also a game that I'm kind of almost expecting them to win. Because you know why, Andrew? When everybody counts the Patriots out, especially after losing to Denver last week, let's see what happens. This is an interesting game, though. Yeah, and I'm going to pat myself on the back real quick because your little rapid-fire segment that you gave me last week. uh, Well, first of all, I I picked the Chiefs as Le'Veon Bell's landing destination, and and that was right. But I also said team that was kind of spiraling that I – thought was going to bounce back and I said that the, it was going to be the 49ers and that defense looked like vintage San Francisco defense on Sunday night against Jared Goff and the Rams and Jimmy Garoppolo played a good game Debo Samuel's yeah. back they finally got him incorporated into the offense and he looked really really good uh the only downside is that Raheem Mostert re-injured that ankle again uh so they're going to go back to Jarek McKinnon um and uh, Jermichael Hasty, uh, Jermichael Hasty, yeah. Jermichael Hasty Jeff is, Wilson's hurt too. Yeah. So, but I think it was a really, really good week for the San Francisco 49ers. It showed everybody that they're still talented. And maybe it was a fluke, the fact that they lost to Miami. So I think that new England has their work cut out for them this weekend. I really do because that 49ers defense can pressure you. We know Cam Newton can move around and is mobile, but he's not as fast as he was when he first came into the league. You know that they take away – they always run that those defenses where they're always containing the outside. And so those little out routes to James White that the Patriots live on, and he had six more catches for 65 yards on Sunday in a losing effort, they take that away from you, and that's their best weapon. So you have to wonder. They try to stuff the ball down everybody's throat and run the ball and control the clock. They're not going to be able to do that against San Francisco, and the game might get put into Cam Newton's hands. Yeah, well, you know what? What I was going to say is I'm expecting this to be a, a low-scoring. I'm talking like a 13-10, 16-10 game, 16-13 game, a hard-fought battle on both sides, you know, defensively. I don't expect this. I tell you the truth, I don't expect Garoppolo to play well in this game. I just don't. 
I just don't. I just think he'll struggle against the Belichick defense. Oh, However, Belichick way, will know exactly how to defend him. No doubt, 100%. You know, and you watch what will happen. He'll do whatever he's got to do to take Kittle out of that game. He'll do whatever he's got to do because that's his thing, Belichick. He'll take your best best offensive player out of the game. And if he's got a triple-team Kittle, he'll triple-team Kittle. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. That's what always amazes me about Belichick because his MO is I'm going to take your best player out of the game. And sometimes he puts two, three, four guys on that one guy. And I'm always I'm always like, well, well, how is nobody else getting open if they're triple-teaming one guy? But they find a way to do it. I mean, Belichick's a genius. That's the way he rolls. And you have uh, you have a gaming question now on Sunday night, the Buccaneer Raider game, which was looking like a good game. It was a t- you know Gruden coached both those teams, um, Buccaneers and the Raiders in the past, and he's coaching the Raiders now, obviously. But you know it's going to be interesting because you know they had a COVID scare uh, with the Raiders, and uh, they sent the entire offensive line home because one of the linemen came down with a COVID. So now they sent the entire offensive line home to quarantine. So. It's possible this game can be in question, which is a shame because, you know, you would have had Tom Brady, you know, going against John Gruden and the Raiders and, uh, you know, on, on a Sunday night game. Uh, so let's hope that that game does get played. Uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. But, you know, last week, you know, the Rodgers, the Rodgers Brady game, I know we didn't talk about it yet, but, you know, the Rodgers Brady game last week did not live up to the hype as, you know, the Packers took out an early 10 nothing lead and then Aaron Rodgers throws a pick six. Then he throws another ball that goes in and out of Devontae Adams' hands, gets picked off. They take it back to the two-yard line score again, and before you know it, it's 38-10. You know, so and Brady didn't even have to do much. Buccaneer defense is playing well, and uh, oh, by the way, who's the Buccaneers defensive coordinator nowadays, Andrew? What's that guy's name? Don't we? Todd Bowles. Oh, oh yes, Todd Bowles. You remember him? He got jettisoned out of here. Yeah, he did. You know, at, least, at least at least his team's played hard for him. People might not have – Jeff fans might not have liked him. And, you know, Jeff fans got to relax too. And I'm not saying Adam Gase deserves to be here. I'm not saying that. But let's stop trying to fire a guy every single time after three or four games because you're hearing it now with Joe Douglas, all these fans calling up. And I don't think Joe Douglas could do the job. And look at – the guy just got on the job a year ago. Could you give him a chance? Could you give him a chance? He signed a six-year deal. He's going to be here. Yes, Adam Gates are probably going to be fired, and rightfully so. He deserves to be fired, no doubt. But could you give Joe Douglas a chance to try and build a team the way he needs to build a team? I mean, because most of the guys that when he got here were not his guys. You know, don't forget that they fired McCagnan two weeks after the draft. So, you know, this was all McCagnan's doing from last year, two years ago. So let Joe Douglas, you know, let him work his magic a little bit. The guy knows well, what he's doing. These Jet fans are all nuts. I mean, come on. Just to play devil's advocate again for a second, the, the players that were brought in by Joe Douglas have not performed well. I mean, Bradley McDougal no. that they got in the Jamal Adams trade has been terrible. But you know what? They have not. But you know what, Andrew? He was he was not trying to build a winner here. He was just bringing guys in on the cheap. Look what he signed. He he signed scrap heap offensive linemen when he knew he didn't not an offensive lineman because he just wanted to save salary cap space and start with the draft and then build it from there. So, you know, he's got to just get a chance acclimate himself to to the to the players that were on this roster that were not his players he wasn't going out and spending money foolishly he just wasn't and there really wasn't much to spend out there especially no, on the offensive line I mean listen he went out and he got Mackay Becton that was the big thing you know Denzel Mims look 
does he know he's going to get hurt? But you know what? He spent he spent an early round pick on Denzel Mims on the wide receiver. You know, so I mean, let's who's see what actually happens. Gonna, who's going to play his first game this weekend, actually? Yeah, so they say. But you know what? You give give this kid LaMichael Perrine a chance to play. You don't need to be running a 37-year-old Frank Gore. I know they gave him a couple opportunities the other day to Jess Perrine, uh, Perrine and you know what? He dropped a, he dropped a first down ball. But you know what? Give him a chance to play. Give the kid some volume. See what he could do. You, there's no need to run Frank Gore at all. I know Adam Gase is in love with him, and he loves to cuddle with Frank Gore. But you know something? Why don't you do Frank Gore a favor? Either trade him or cut him. Maybe he hooks on with a team that needs somebody, veteran presence, a veteran running back that maybe, maybe can make maybe a playoff run. Maybe the Chiefs run. will get him. Yeah, maybe the Chiefs should <laughs> sign him. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be another goal line back. But, you know, seriously, it, isn't, it just it doesn't make sense that you got Frank Gore on his team. It's stupid. Just You drafted this kid in the fourth round. See what he could do. There's plenty, plenty of fourth-round running backs that have had success. I'm not saying this kid's going to be old world, but for God's sake, could you give him a chance and play? Give him volume. Let him play, you know, out of 70 snaps. Let him play 60 of them. Right. I mean, and, it doesn't and, make and sense. We all, we all agree that Gase and Douglas are, are tied at the hip a little bit. Well, so you not would think anymore. that Joe Douglas drafted this guy that you would let him play. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I mean, I, listen, Douglas's hands are tied now at this point because Gase, he knows he's going to have to fire him. I mean, now, look, look, if he wants to take mercy on him, he'll fire him after this weekend. He should have been fired after last weekend. Take mercy on a guy. That's it. If, if he's your good friend, put it this way. If I see you swimming in a pile, if I see you drowning in a pile of shit, Andrew, I'm going to throw your life raft. So, you know, that's it. So take some mercy on Gase. I thought that. If there was a game to fire him, it was after the Broncos game, and they've gotten worse and worse every single Look, week. The game they should have then. fired him after last week, after after the Dolphin game. They should have really fired him. I mean, that that was it. I mean, that was enough was enough. But you know what? I think they, I, I don't think they want to even have a chance of trying to energize this team. I really do. I don't think they would even want to do because I think they want to go zero and sixteen. Right, but you know what's confusing about that to me though is that if they want to go zero and sixteen. Don't you think Adam on Adam Gase is on board with that? And, and but if they're not going to bring him back, then he wouldn't be on board with that. So is he coming back? Is there a, is there a chance no, that he comes back? No, I I don't think there's any way, shape or form, especially if they draft uh, Trevor Lawrence. There's no but, way he's coming. But, there's but no way he's coming back. Just think period. about it for a second. What if what if maybe Adam Gase came in here, right? And he said all the all the right things to the media in terms of wanting to work with Sam and all that stuff. But what if he came in and said to Christopher Johnson and, and, and sold him on this and said, look, this McCagnan guy has built this team just so terribly wrong. Sam is not the answer at quarterback. This team is just not constructed properly. We're going to tear the whole thing down. We're going to stink. We're going to get the first pick and get a real quarterback in there. And then we're going to build this thing. It's going to be two or three painful years until we get it all together. But listen, the way that this roster is right now, it's going to be seven or eight painful years unless we, we start the process right now of tearing this thing down and starting from scratch again. Maybe he could have sold Christopher Johnson on that. We don't know what went on. No, we don't know what went on. But you know what? They really are in a rebuilding mode right now. There's nothing on this team right now. There's nothing. They're going to have to go through the draft. You know, and again, that's the reason why Joe Douglas did not want to tie himself up into any sort of heavy contracts. You know, he wasn't going to do that. So, you know what? He's going to play the salary cap game and – you know, who knows what the salary cap is going to be? Fans, no fans next year. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Um, 
But anyway, you know, he didn't strap himself, you know, uh, in this offseason, uh, Joe Douglas, which was a smart thing to do. Probably seen where the roster was at and said, you know what, listen, we're not if we win three or four games, we'll be lucky. You know, so what's it, at that point, whether you win three or four games or zero games, does it really make a difference? The difference is at zero games, you're probably going to get Trevor Lawrence. That's the difference. And at that point, you're better off going to z- having zero wins than having three wins. Three and so, four wins does nothing for anybody. So I think this is a relevant conversation now because we're both in agreement that this team can't even sniff a win. And they're going to get the first pick. And there's no way that they have that first pick. They don't take Trevor Lawrence. So what happens with, with Sam? What, what do you think would be a good landing spot for someone like him? A good landing spot for somebody like Sam. I tell you what, you you know you you know what would be a great spot for him. Don't say it. I didn't say Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm not, right. I wasn't going to say yeah. that. Carry on. I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say that because I, I feel like this is to be a great spot for him because of the coaches also that's there, the New Orleans Saints. You know, I hadn't I hadn't thought of them, but I I just think that you don't Taysom think Hill's that they not give Taysom Hill a chance to be no. a quarterback, though. No, I think Sean Payton Hill- seems to be enamored with him. He's enamored with him, but he's enamored with him because he's a Swiss Army knife. He's not enamored with him because he's going to be an every down quarterback. I think I think Sean Sean Payton loves to play those games with Taysom Hill. He loves it. He'll do it at any point in the game too. He's not going to be a prototypical quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen. Other people might think differently, but I tell you the truth. Sam Donald goes there. He might have some success with Sean Payton there. He might. He might. I just don't think, you know, I don't see Taysom Hill being that every down quarterback myself. That's my own personal opinion. From what I see, I just don't see that. All right. Maybe we have to see it, you know, uh, over a full season, obviously, and and training camps and everything else. But I, me personally, I just don't see it. I, I think he's going to use Taysom Hill the way he used Taysom Hill the whole time. But I think that's a, that's not a bad spot for him. All right. So you know what? This is a, this is a fun little exercise. There's a couple quarterbacks I have in mind that I'm, I know it's early in the season and we still got a, lo- a long time until the off season, but I, I think this is fun. What happens with, uh, Mitch Trubisky? Gets cut. He's going to get cut after this season. Done. And where where do you think would be a good fit for him, or does he just cling on as a backup? He's a he's a back he's a backup somewhere. Whether you know whoever needs a backup quarterback, you know, uh, he he's just going to go to the right system for him as a backup. Maybe with the right coaching staff that could help him develop more. But otherwise, he's strictly a backup. There's no way that guy's a starting quarterback in the NFL next year. Not happening. What about Jameis? Same thing. He's not a starting quarterback anywhere. He's a backup quarterback now. You know, he's just too erratic, too erratic, too many turnovers. He's too erratic. I don't see him taking over. I don't see him signing an extension with the Saints and staying there. I just don't see it. I I, I don't see those guys um, becoming uh, starting quarterbacks again right now, unless it's an injury somewhere, but it's not happening. I don't see I don't see a job for him either. I really don't. You have an influx of a lot of young quarterbacks coming into the NFL now. You know, think about it. I mean, the only other place, I mean, you, you figure a, a Rivers is, is probably a one-year deal over there, more than likely. Rivers is going to be there for one year. Jacoby Brissett's not the answer. 
Uh, nice backup to have, but obviously he's not going to be the answer. I mean, does Sam Donald go to Frank Reich with the Colts? That's not a bad spot. Frank Reich's a hell of a he's a he's a hell of a uh, offensive coach. Good well, offensive coach, Frank Reich. They, That's not a bad did, spot for Sam Donald either. They did take actually. Jacob Eason though in the draft last year. Yeah, they did, but it's not a bad spot for for Donald. I mean, if if just just saying, just for him personally, you know, obviously the Dolphins know. <laughs> well, listen. What did the Vikings do with Kirk Cousins after this year? Think about that. And Kirk I mean, Cousins is another one. I don't awful. see him getting a awful. big contract again. Awful. I mean, listen. He's been, he's been terrible this year. At this point right now, the, the the Washington football team will be looking for a quarterback because you are not hearing good things coming out of that out of that organization about Dwayne Haskins. And a lot of it has to do with with his mental makeup and with his preparation, which is never a good thing. So then that's a good that's another good question. What happens with Haskins? Look, I think, think I think Haskins that young would get a fresh start somewhere to, to try to compete. Yeah, for a I, I don't I, I think they probably would wind up keeping Haskins, but you know, depending upon where they fall in this draft, they might wind up drafting another quarterback. I, I mean, look, it could easily happen. Well, they have a, they're gonna have if, an early if not if if not and, and the Jets are looking at if not and the Jets are looking to trade Sam Donald maybe he goes there who the hell knows I don't know but you know Donald hasn't really shown much either you know he does show that the kid knows the game you know he, he's the type of kid that's gonna work hard and he's gonna try and prepare now again I've told you this in the past I've said it a million times he needs a good team around him. That's why I say a team like the Saints, maybe team that's already has some talent on there already. So well, that, that's what I was going to say is because you're going to have to have a contending team that's going to want to bring Sam in and have him compete for the starting job. Because even a, even a team like Washington, who, yeah, they might need another quarterback. They might be ready to move on from Haskins. And obviously, Kyle Allen is in the future. But what you're going to be doing, essentially, is if you bring someone like Sam Darnold in, you're going to be bringing in a guy who is in year number five and. To put a guy in year number five on a team that's rebuilding and hoping he develops, I'm sorry, five years is too late for development. There's no development anymore. You need to well, put him have, in the right we, spot and see right. if, he, if the talent right. is actually there. The talent we that we're speaking we, about. Look, we have seen him play very well in spurts. We've seen him play you know well what, in Rob, spurts. It's not, even, it's not even spurts. It's plays here and there. And yeah. that's, what, that's what leads yeah. me to criticize Sam so much because – when you have a quarterback that's so highly touted, normally those spurts are maybe one full game. Like Daniel Jones, there were a couple occasions last year where he played good games from beginning to end. I can't remember Sam Darnold playing a really good game from beginning to end. I can think about him making a couple of nice plays throughout the course of the game, maybe three or four plays that you could point to and say, wow, this kid has it. But that's not consistent enough for me. I need to see from the second the first ball is snapped – Till the clock hit zero, I want to see a good, complete game. And I haven't seen that from him. And to me, I don't see a franchise quarterback there if you're not able to do that at least once by accident. I mean, you've been in the league for three years now, and you couldn't string together one full game? That That's my that's my biggest issue with him. Yeah, that's a, that's that's the biggest issue with a lot of Jet fans right now. But, you know, again, I, I, I still think he, he'd be a, a competent quarterback in a good system with good players around him. I really do. And look, again, it's going to take, a, you know, the right team. And again, that's why I say the Saints, because they always have a good team, the Saints, and they have some weapons there. So you never know. Look, Drew Brees is going to retire. And again, I don't feel like Taysom Hill's the guy. Other people might think differently. That's fine. I could understand that. Why not? 
Um, so let's see what happens. But, you know, let's change let's change sports right here. I want to get into the baseball a little bit, Andrew. There's a couple of things I want to discuss. And, you know, Steve Cohen, the process has started already with his ownership, and he's he's gotten the first step for approval on a seven-to-one vote. The only one that voted no was Jerry Reinsdorf, who evidently has some sort of vendetta against Steve Cohn. Well, he's Maybe also good friends with A-Rod, too. Yeah, he's, yeah, well, you know, but, you know, I, evidently they're saying there might have been a real estate deal gone bad or something. That might have happened in the financial world. So whatever, it's billionaires fighting billionaires. Who gives a shit? You know, so he, he got the approval there. Um, look, you know, we don't know what's going to happen here with the fans next year. As far as Steve Cohn taking ownership, you know, we've talked about this in the past. We're probably going to hope it's, you know, early to mid-November. Well, Bob, this way, Bob maybe- Nightingale wrote a, wrote a, a story today. Um and although the the premise of his story has kind of been debunked about um, he wrote a story about how Bill de Blasio could the mayor of New York City could uh, possibly nix the deal because of the fact that the ballpark is built on city owned land. Yeah, that and, never and happened. Been, that because never he's happen. been fined. He's a prohibitive person to be taking over. So yeah, the city yeah, that, could out, outlaw it if they wanted to. But that's, that'll that's never been happen. debunked. But never at the end of that article. Which no one has reported yet except for Bob Nightingale. The end of that article, he said the vote is taking place on November 17th. And it kind of went as like a, a, an unnoticed detail because of the fact that everyone saw de Blasio's name and everyone saw the fact that Steve Cohen could maybe get disapproved by him. So everyone kind of didn't see the fact that he said the vote would be on November 17th. I haven't seen anyone else confirm that, but that's what he said. Um so I mean that's right in the ballpark of when we thought it might happen. So that that could be a that could be a potential date. It's got to kind of bring into question, you know, whether or not Van Wagenen stays. Then, I mean, the only other thing is if he has, uh, you know, uh, a behind the doors handshake deal with a, a general manager out there that when he's going to take ownership, this guy will take over. You know, maybe prepare himself instead of having to go through the whole process after he takes ownership, instead of having to go through the whole process of finding another GM. I, I mean, look, I think he need, I think this organization needs to start fresh. I, I don't want to see the same stale faces and, you know, including players there anymore. And that might even include the manager who's not stale. But I do. I do believe he'll get another year. The only thing is if you bring in another general manager, that general manager might want their own manager and they might not want Louis Rojas. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting scenario there. I was hoping that it wasn't that late into November, you know, that they were going to do this vote. I was hoping it was going to be earlier, but evidently not. You know what? I I, I will say this. I do feel, however, that if they do replace Louis Louis Rojas and bring in a new manager – I do think that they're going to extend an olive branch to him and keep him in the organization, maybe put him back in his old role. I don't think that's they'll get tough, rid of him. That's completely. tough, though. That's tough, though, Andrew. It's tough when, when somebody's going from the major, being a major league manager of, of, you know, the major league team and then they're telling you to go sit back in the minors again. Well, he that's wasn't a, in the minors. He was with the Mets. He was well, just he was play a development, but still, you know, play a development. You know, he's looking at minor league players. And it's tough to say, you know, it's tough to do that. I mean, that's like you being a president of, uh, you know, of Goldman Sachs and then all of a sudden they're telling you, well, you know, we want you to be the, uh, we just want you to be the assistant to the secretary now. 
I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it's that's a tough pill to swallow for somebody. It really, really is. And although they're not tied into him long term or, or with big money by any means. But, you know, at this point right now, look, what's the first day of free agency? Um, That's a good question. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to look that up right now. Yeah, because that's going to be interesting because, you know, we're going to have to see what happens because you've got a couple of big names out there, two of them being Trevor Bauer, who the Mets could use another pitcher, and the other one being JT Real Muto. Now, it's looking like the Mets will probably extend the qualifying offer to Marcus Stroman, which would pay him about $18 million for the one year if Marcus Stroman decides to accept it, which he might want to kind of approve it deal. He's got to make $18 million. We'll see what happens. I mean, Marcus Stroman was out there shooting his mouth off again today how – you know, he's the best pitcher on the Yankees, not named Garrett Cole. He'd be the best pitcher. Well, yeah, no shit. What the hell else did they got there? I mean, Tanaka's been a little bit beaten up. What, you're better than J.A. Happ and, and Paxson? I mean, really? And Jordan Montgomery? Come on. Stupid statement. Once again, Mark Stroman opening up his mouth. But, yeah, so because, go ahead. What it's saying here is that at the conclusion of the World Series um, – the teams have five days to uh, make calls on exercising options and qualifying offers. Uh, five days after that is when the free agent market is open for business. So I would assume that um, let's say this series goes, this series between Tampa and the Dodgers goes seven games, which it very well could. I do expect this to, to be a competitive series. The Rays are up three, nothing in the fourth inning, by the way. Yeah, so if this if this series went seven games, it would conclude on October 28th, which would mean that the following week on the t- Monday, I would imagine November 2nd is when the qualifying offers and stuff happen. And then free agency would effectively open on November 7th. Um, See, now so becomes, that, that becomes an interesting scenario because he's not going to be approved. See, that's what's, you know, and, and that, that's a little bit of a quandary that the Mets will be in because. You know, he's not going to be improved on November 17th. The Mets are going to be behind the eight ball right now. Not necessarily, because a lot of these teams are going to be trying to cut payroll, being that there were no fans, and it's it might be a slow market. No, I understand, but you're going to tell me that guys like Real Muto and, and Trevor Bauer aren't going to get office right away? They're going to be sitting on them? Listen, everybody know Steve Cohen's net worth is $10 billion more than well, the next closest I, owner. So I, I think I that every so. big-name free agent is going to be waiting around to see if the Mets want to extend an offer. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I really do. And you got to remember, too, and I said this before, a lot of times there's a tra- – uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's a there's – a, Transition transition period. Thank you. I had a brain fart for a minute. There's a transitional period where the owner kind of steps back and looks at the budget and decides what it's going to be and everything like that. I don't think that transitional period is going to be as long for Steve Cohen, being that he's already seen the books. He's been a minority owner of this team. So that also is a little bit of advantage an advantage for him once he gets the approval, which we expect him to, to have. I, I tell you, we could only hope that the Mets could start developing players like the way the Dodgers do because it's well, unreal. Oh, that's the big thing. That's the big My thing. God. I mean, you look at that roster. I mean, look, you, you had the cast-offs that they, that, they, that they take. You know, Justin Turner was a cast-off from the Mets. Max Muncie was the cast-off. You look at him. Then you, you look at they develop, you know, Will Smith was a first-round pick, 32nd overall, I believe, in 2016. You know, Chris Taylor – Cody Bellinger, I mean, my God, it, Julio Urias, Dustin May, the guys that they develop in this organization, it's unreal. It's unreal. Corey Seager, and Gavin, Gavin Lux, I didn't even mention him. 
And he was, he was not even on the on the. He's not even on the roster. Roster, and he's yeah. like, it's a stud. I will say yeah. this too. It, it's interesting though because you mentioned how many players this team develops, and you mentioned how talented the roster is, but they've never been able to win. And you have to wonder if maybe Mookie Betts. But they is get the there every year. Yeah, they get there, listen. but I'm wondering if Betts maybe is the missing piece because he's been playing out of his mind oh my, his whole entire unreal. postseason. He I mean, that's the reason why. Really propel them. Look, they gave up hardly anything for him. They really didn't give up much. What, Verdugo? I mean, really, what'd you give up for him? You know, yeah, they and, didn't and give the up a kid, lot. Uh, Jeter Downs, who, yeah, Jeter Downs. Not really a top, top prospect. No, he's, he's not a top, top prospect. To he wasn't their player. top prospect. It wasn't Gavin Lux. It wasn't Verdugo and Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux was their top prospect. But, you know, and then they signed him to the monster deal. I mean, Mookie Betts is yeah, – look, you, you, could, you could argue that he's the best player in Major League Baseball. I mean, I understand people are going to say Trout, but you know something? Mookie Betts has the rings right now, and he might be getting another one. But, uh, yeah, we can only hope the Mets can just start, you know, using his organization. I've said it before in the past. You know, start developing players from within. Build the infrastructure of your organization. Get deep down into the minors and start developing these plays the right way, unlike the way the Wilpons were doing it when everything was cheap and archaic. So, you know, and and I get and 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 listen, let me tell you something. I think before he does anything, that's what he's going to do, Cone. He's going to spend millions of dollars in the infrastructure of this team. I'm well, telling he already, you right now, he already no, said that he's already he said it to be losing four hundred million dollars in the first two years of right. operating the team. Right, right, and he understands that because he's got to put the money into the team. That's the thing to develop it the right way, to do it the right way, to rebuild what the what the Wilpons destroyed. So well, I said you know, I said this last week. As fans, you only really fully understand the the frugalness of the Wilpons because they're never in on the big free agents. But it's a trickle down effect in all other areas of the team. We can only imagine how many other areas of operations they've been yeah. skimping out on. Scouting. You know, we've said it before. Andrew, we've mentioned it before. We've mentioned this before in the podcast. Plenty of times we've talked about this. Plenty of times. It's not, you know, we're, we're bringing up Ty Kelly and, and Eric Soup Campbell, you know, and 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 Josh Satin and Chris Flexen and all this all the garbage and Corey Oswald and the Dodgers who are, who are perennial winners every year and drafting at the back end of the draft are getting players and developing players like they are. Will Smith, my guy, I mean, do we have to mention these guys again? They are developing players, period. Anybody they bring up is is a success. It's a success. Well, you, you know, know what? Uh, Jock, of, Pe- Jock that, Peterson, another guy. I mean, come on. Part of that is also, and again, I'm not, I'm not offering a cop out here for the Wilpons. The only thing I will say is part of the reason I think that that happens with the Dodgers and the Yankees is because – there's a certain standard with that organization that those players understand when they come up. There is yeah, no but it doesn't make the players winners. Right no, but it doesn't make the players winners automatically. It doesn't make them very good players automatically. They're developing their game from when they're young in the minors, from down at low class A ball. They're learning how to play the game the right way. Unlike the Mets, who still can't run the bases. I mean, we see it. They they did it. How many times have I said it? They're the dumbest team on the planet. It's one of the dumbest baseball teams I've ever seen over the years. No matter who the manager is, it doesn't change. Terry Collins, Mickey Calloway, Louis Rojas, it's the same abominable fundamental mistakes. Poor defensively, cannot run their bases, do not, do not take good angles on balls hit to the outfield. That all gets developed in the minor leagues, Andrew. That's where it comes from. And it's consistent mistakes constantly, 
constantly. You're changing the managers. You change the coaches. You change the players. It doesn't matter. It's all the same shit. doesn't matter. So, you know, it's going to lead me into the Yankees now. And here's an interesting scenario here, Andrew. All right? You ready for this? Right now, you're, right now, you're Hal Steinbrenner, okay? Your payroll is at about, what, 200, $210 million, let's say. You look at teams now. I mean, obviously, the Dodgers are in a big payroll team. But you look at teams like the A's and Tampa, and what's the difference between them making the playoffs and going where they go and what the Yankees do? For the money. Money. No, a I'm saying. A lot of well, money. There's a big no. discrepancy in the payrolls. No, no, exactly. But I'm saying, isn't Hal Steinbrenner going to look and say, not for nothing, but I see the A's in Tampa making the playoffs every single year. They go as far as we do for the most part over the last 10 years. And they're spending 40, 50, 60 million dollars. And I'm spending 210 million. What the hell am I getting out of this then? Well, that's what I said. I said that last week. I said, you know, I laugh that there's Yankee fans that call into sports radio and say, you know, get, we need to get rid of Gary Sanchez. We need to make a run at Real Muto or we need another starter. We need to sign Trevor Bauer. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, forget about the fact that there was no fans in the stands and teams are going to be cutting payroll for that reason. The fact that they weren't making any revenue this year, but also take into account the fact that Hal Steinbrenner has to be sitting there with his feet up at his office desk saying, look. I'm, I, I just got the crown jewel of free agency for this team, and you guys still weren't able to win. In fact, we weren't able to win, and we lost to a team who's doing it for $35 million. They're doing it for almost $200 million less than we're doing it for. And, uh, what and the hell am I going to go out and spend money on another piece for? Our manager tried to manage like their manager in that game, too, with what Aaron Boone did. Yeah. And yep. his going to be interesting, you know, not to go off, off, off base here real quick, but – you know, Snell's through four innings right now. Let's see if this idiot Cash takes him out again. Because the other day, when he took him out in that other game, I, let me tell you something. When Snell was in the fifth inning and we looked like he was cruising, and you could even say it, he said, what the F are we doing here when Cash came out to get him? Because yeah. he was going through the lineup the third time. So this is going to be an interesting scenario. I get a funny feeling Cash is going to leave him in. But, you know, it, it. so it leads me to that. And I tell you, it's an interesting thing what they might have to do here because – Listen, the Yankees are ruined today, and it's their own fault ever taking on that, that Stanton contract. I mean, they're ruining the day because they're going to have to make decisions now on other guys like Judge, like Torres, like DJ <laughs> Lemieux. Who, I, have, I have to cut you off for a second because someone called in. I don't know if it was the K show or if it was Rothenberg and, and DiPietro. Somebody calls in and says, you know, why is no one talking about the fact that John Carlos Stan has an opt-out this year? I mean, what if he just opts out? We won't be on yeah, okay. the hook for the money anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. Are you kidding yeah. me? Are yeah, you, you guys kidding me? He's go, living in go fantasy world. Go back in your little hole. Come on. Yeah. Living in fantasy world. He's <laughs> going to opt out. What a dope. That's somebody that's not in reality. But, yeah, you know, you, you know, you look at that, and I'll tell you the truth. They're going to have some big decisions to make here. And you never know if Lemayhu walks away, man. I would love to see Steve Cohen start to throw around some of his money, DJ Lemayhu. That would be the first guy I signed before anybody. The only thing with LeMahieu is the term because he is in his 30s. He's well, 33 years old, I believe. Uh, is he 33? I didn't think he was. He was. I thought he was like 30. I thought he was 31 for some reason. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't think he was 33. Right 33 now. seems. He's he's uh, he's, he he's, he's 32. Okay. 32. Okay. All right. So we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. So you know. All right. It's term. So. Uh, you know what, DJ May who's the type of guy though. You know what? He'll he'll play well 36, 37 years old. I think so too. But I mean, but you're talking about a five-year deal. Operate now. 
a five-year deal. They're going to have to think about it. You got to think about this though, Rob. The way the, the way these front offices operate right now, DJ LeMahieu was sitting out on the free agent market with nobody wanting to sign yeah. him, and the Yankees swooped in and gave him eight million dollars a year to bring him in. Well, so, he he's their one competent hitter in their lineup that exactly knows what he's doing. I mean, listen, they don't sign him. I'd love to see Steve Cohn throw some money at him because I would love DJ LeMahieu. That guy knows how to play the game. He's a above average glove at 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 any position, first, second, third, maybe. All right, so I mean, let's 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 play the numbers game real quick. If, if if you're a Mets fan, well, you are a Mets fan. So as a Mets fan, I should say, four years, one hundred million dollars. Well, give it's funny because I was going to say five at one twenty-five, but if if that's what it takes to get him here, you give him that fifth year, or maybe make it an option and certain bonuses and or incentives that you know he could achieve. The option clicks in, kicks in, you know, for the fifth year. So you're talking maybe twenty-five million a year. I mean. Look, if you could, I don't, I don't know if he's going to get 25 million a year. I'd have to think he might be getting a little bit less than that, maybe, in this market. I don't know if 25 million is, is, I don't know if he's going to achieve that. I mean, maybe somewhere, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be, it's, it's definitely going to have a two in front of it. You know, it's definitely going to be 21, 22 million. I don't know if it's going to be 25, but hey, listen, I, I'd love to have him. I'll be honest with you. But, you know, this brings me to another. All right. So I I was planning on having a few uh, rapid fire questions for you baseball wise. Oh, I love it. Here's my first one right here. Scenario. Steve Cohen gets approved. Whoever the general manager gets a phone call from Brian Cashman. We'll give you. Gary Sanchez. And two mid-level prospects. But Dominic Smith. Do you do it? No. No, I, I have zero faith in Gary Sanchez. I just I, I have no faith in him. First of all, um, he he's 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 a liability behind the plate. Although not as much as Wilson Ramos was, but you don't want to just go back to the to the same old garbage behind the plate. Uh, and if he's not hitting then he's just completely useless, which Ramos was this season. He was completely useless. He couldn't hit. He couldn't field. That's it. He was useless. He was just taking up space back there. Well, Mid-level prospects are, are a crapshoot. Um, the Mets have the Mets have Chili Davis coming back. I'm sure he could resurrect his career. They, they do. You know what? That's a good point. They do have Chili <laughs> Davis coming back. They do have Chili Davis coming back. And hopefully Chili Davis will be in person, which is even better. Yeah, that would be nice. But, you know, my my second question is, Three players on this Met roster that are, I'm not going to say somewhat significant players that will not be on this roster come next year. So at the start of this coming season, 2021? Yeah. Start. Yeah. Three guys that have been in a lineup or in a rotation, however you want to see it. You know, I'm okay. not talking about Robert Giselman. You know what I mean? Right, right. Okay. Um, so Wilson Ramos, not on the team. They buy out his final year or they, they have a $1 million buyout on his contract. He'll be gone. Um, although he wasn't significant, but Todd Frazier also has a buyout. I'd assume they'd buy out the $1 million and get him off the team. And uh, as much as I like the kid, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that J.D. Davis isn't on this team next season either. I agree with that one. 
No, but there's no position for him to play. Yeah, that that's a shame. And you know what? They're they're. It all depends on you know. Normally, you would say, well, if the National League just adopts the designated hitter, there's your spot. The the problem with the Mets, they have six designated hitters. Yes. That that's their problem. So they can't afford to have any more guys that don't have a defined position. You take another team. No. You know, look at a team like the Twins, right? Uh, do they bring back Nelson Cruz again? I mean, he seems to be an ageless wonder. But a team like that, looking for a DH, bring in J.D. Davis. You know, some team will be in the market to bring J.D. Davis in, and who knows? You know, he did play better at third base this year than he did last season. Yeah, but, but he still had not the good worst for my liking. He had the worst defensive rating in the major leagues. He was like at a minus eight. So you know, you, know what? you can't, I'm, you can't I'm, have that. I'm gonna go with a because uh, Todd Frazier is not significant enough. No. So I'm gonna give you a I'm gonna give you a third player, uh, and I know you're gonna like this one. I'm gonna say that uh, Brandon Nemo is not on this team next yes. year. Yes, I was hoping you were gonna say that. Yeah, I think they go out and they get themselves a legitimate center fielder. I just hope it's not George Springer. I, I don't want George Springer on the well, team. Well, and it's funny you're saying that because my my next question was going to be the starting center fielder in 2021 for the Mets is Kevin Pillar. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be bad. I mean, you know, what are you going to sign him in? I mean, listen, I, I bring him in on a, a one-year deal. Yeah, give him one, give him one year, give him seven, eight million to six, yeah, seven million. Yeah, it would have to be a one-year deal. I wouldn't give him anything much more or, than that. Or, or maybe they bring back uh, they, another cheap option on a one-year deal until the, the outfielders they have in the system develop. Is uh, You could bring back Jake Marisnik maybe. I mean, I'd like Pilar over Marisnik. Um, I think Marisnik probably has a, a slightly a slightly more pop in his bat than Pilar does, although Pilar did have the best power hitting season of his career last season. Um, but Pilar's glove is just on. No, he's a phenomenal. He's a uh, he's a phenomenal. They just went yard yeah, razor up five nothing. Um, I think it was Kiermaier again. And Snell hasn't allowed. No, a hit no. Yet. Is that Kiermaier? I think it was. No, no, it wasn't Kiermaier. It was a Brandon Lowe. Oh, he he's been cold all series, all postseason. Low, low, low. Yeah, he's been cold all postseason long. They need him to come around. Yeah, he hasn't been doing much. Um, so Jacob Jacob Degrom's our, our opening day starter, who pitches game two. Um, gonna say, you know, I just. You know, I'm in a weird place here because I feel like the good thing about having Steve Cohen is that I feel like a guy like him, if he has his eyes on something, he's not going to get outbid for it. And there's going to be a lot of suitors for Trevor Bauer. I don't know if I'm going to be willing to go into a bidding war for a guy like that. Um, so so I don't know what's going to happen. Um Game two. Who pitches game two? So Syndergaard is out because he's not going to come back. Probably he won't be back to June or July. Yeah. He'll be back around June and July. Uh, you have David Peterson, who's a good back-end starter, not a number two pitcher. Um, no. Steven Matz. That's not uh, mentioned Steven Matz. Probably not going to be on the team. Say, no. He's not yeah. going to be on the team next year either. That'll be my fourth guy. Steven Matz yeah. won't be on the team. They're, no. uh, they just won't tender him. Got to cut bait with him enough. Yeah, That's like Brandon Nimmo all over again. You know, you keep waiting for these guys to do something, and you keep waiting another year, another year. Another year before, you know, they're in their fifth year, their sixth year, and they're the same garbage that they wore that you knew that they wore from from their second year. And it's the same thing with Nimmo. 
Everybody gets enamored because Nimmo laughs. He smiles. He's great. He runs to first base. He gets on base, but I, he doesn't hit. That's it. He just doesn't hit. So, mm. but I'm, I'm thinking, say... go ahead. I got somebody in mind and it's nothing. <laughs> you know who I'm going to say? You're not going to like this very much. Just kind of glimpsing the free agent pitchers and which ones I think they could bring in. Um, one guy that I've actually had my eye on that I think that they should bring in is a guy who pitched pretty well uh, uh, this season was uh, Taiwan Walker, who's a free agent. I'd like for them to bring him in. Uh, not as a number two starter, though, another back end guy. Uh, but if I had to go out on a limb, who's pitching game two for the Mets? I'm going to say Kevin Gausman. Oh, God, no, please. <laughs> of all the names you had to say, this goes back This goes back for years with me and some friends of mine. Kevin Gausman. Oh, you know what I followed Kevin Gausman with? He stinks. And I understand he had some numbers with the Giants this year. He pitched well. But let me tell you something. Prior to that, I don't know. I, I just can't see it. No, I'm looking at Marcus Stroman coming back on a qualifying offer, I think. I don't think there's going to be Oh, you know what? I for- forgot about Stroman. Yeah, I think yeah. they definitely extend a qualifying offer to him. 100%. I think he 100%. comes back on the qualifying offer. I really do. I think he comes back on a one-year, you know, the qualifying $18 million kind of a prove-it deal. I mean, you know, even though he's getting up there in age a little bit, but, you know, look, look. again, he's the type of guy you got to have defense around him. You know, he, he's not going to strike guys out anymore. So but you know what? You know, I don't really think I th- I don't think that the uh, the age will get to him as fast as some other guys because of the fact that he's more of a finesse pitcher as it well, is. Well, he's a pitcher, right? He's just yeah. a pitcher. He's a pitcher, right? So, you know, uh, now you you know you go to the Yankees and again, you know, we, we brought it up uh, before and it's an interesting scenario because do they if they sign Lemayhu, you, you're probably almost guaranteeing yourself that you're not signing one of Judge. Or Torres, no? I mean, you think they want to be in this? I, I really feel that Hal Steinbrenner is going to look to cut the payroll. I really, really do. Yeah, I do also. And and they, they can cut it right away by uh, the fact that J-Hap did not reach the requirements for the vesting option. So right there, that's $18 million of yeah. payroll they're not going to have to pay. No. Um, I'd have to think that they don't bring back Tanaka. Um, they might give a qualifying offer to Paxton and hope that he could bounce back and have a healthy season. That I could see the Yankees I, doing. I doubt it. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, you know, look, they, they got to hope that Severino comes back healthy for them. Well, he'll be coming back around the same time as Syndergaard. Yeah, but they, they got to hope that he comes back somewhat healthy. I don't know about Domingo Herman, you know, from what you, you know, the, you, you hear Hal Steinbrenner talk about it and, you know, didn't seem happy about the whole situation with Herman. A couple of situations, not only the, the, the domestic violence, but there was another incident in the, uh, in the DR. So who knows if he even comes back. But So here we go. I'll swing the rapid fire back on you. Garrett Cole pitches game one of the 2021 season. Who pitches game two for the Yankees? Oh. Debbie Garcia. That's what I was going to say. I don't think they're signing Bauer. They're now, Jordan, Jordan Montgomery is still under contract, correct? Yeah, but I don't think they're signing Bauer. They're not going to. They're going to not going to take him. Plus, no. Bauer and Cole are not friendly. No, no, no. If the Yankees <laughs> dish out any big time contracts, it's going to be to somebody who is already on the roster who they're. But I, I well, exactly. I don't see the Yankees being players in a free agency. I really don't because no. I think Hal Steinbrenner is going to look to cut cut payroll. There's no doubt. Again, I think he's looking at teams like the Rays and the A's. And even the, the you know, you look at the Astros too, for that matter. I mean, listen, the Astros developed their own players. 
you know, uh, look, look, look what they did this year. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, they lost. They lost their two best pitchers, and you saw right. guys like Framber Valdez and Jose Urquidy right. pitching meaningful innings and being effective. And Hale Steinbrenner is going to be looking, saying, "Listen, I'm getting all this talent here on this team. I Giancarlo Stanton. I got, jo- and I'm not doing anything. What am I doing? Yeah, all right. I'm getting to to the, you know, the championship series. I'm the AL championship series a couple of times. I got knocked out this year." I mean, you got to have to look at it and say, okay, why am I spending all this money? For what reason? I really, really feel it. The Yankees are going to wind up cutting ties with either Torres or Judge. Probably not Judge, maybe more so Torres. I don't know. I, I, only because I think they feel like Judge is the face of the franchise. But again, this guy cannot stay healthy. Can't stay healthy. He cannot stay healthy. I know Yankee fans are enamored with Aaron Judge. It's wonderful when he's in the lineup, when he's in the lineup. Yep. You know, the best ability is availability. Exactly. Exactly. So are you going to invest? And let's face it, Aaron Judge is not young when he becomes a free agent. You know, he'll be 30 years old, I think he'll be. You know, he came up. He wasn't 21, 22 years old when he came up, Aaron Judge. So I think Aaron Judge is going to be 30 years old when he hits free agency. You're going to give him an eight-year deal? Because you're going to wind up the same way that happened with Stanton. Calf injuries, muscle injuries, shoulder injuries, ass injury, testicle injury, that injury, this injury. I mean, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It, it, it's like you're playing a game of operation. I mean, come on already. It's enough already. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's enough. I, you know, you, you, these, these, these fan base of the Yankees, they get so enamored with a guy like Aaron Judge. Let it go. Let it go. Because you know what? He hasn't done a lot for you. Hasn't done a lot. Push comes to shove in the playoffs, he ain't hitting. Luke Voigt will be off this team. He'll be off the team. I I wouldn't be surprised if Rochelle is off the team, too. You You could sell high on both of those guys. You you can, but I think Rochelle will be here right now. He's not making big money or anything. He's a hell of a defensive third baseman. I'd love to have that kid's glove. My God, he could hit 240 for me, that kid's glove. See, that's what the Mets need to do, just build around defense. So, you know. We'll here's, see. The biggest, here's the biggest shortcoming with the Yankees. We always joke about how they get the mishaps from other than the cast-offs from all the other teams, and they come to the Yankees, you know, the Gio Urshelas, the Luke Voigts, the Mike Talkmans, the Eric Kratz, you know, the list goes on. Their only shortcoming is when when are they able ever able to develop pitching? They haven't had a homegrown pitcher since Andy Pettit. Let me tell you something. The Yankees talk about having homegrown pitches every single year. That's all I hear. Clark Schmidt now, Debbie Garcia. Who's to say these guys are going to amount to anything? That's all you ever hear from the Yankees. Well, wasn't it a? It was. It's not that long ago. We're not too far removed from a couple years ago yeah. when Garrett Cole was still a Pittsburgh Pirate, and he was the hot name in the trade market for starting right. pitchers. And you had everybody and their mother saying. Why are we going to trade for Jer- Garrett Cole? We have Chance Adams. We yeah, have Justin Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, and where'd they go? Yeah, yeah. Brian, T- Brian Taylor. Remember him years ago, Brian yep. Taylor? Yep. Another one, another bust. I mean, that's, the Yankees always talk about the great pitching they have, and it never amounts to anything. Uh, you know, so shut up already. That's why, you know, that's why I root for them to lose all the time, because I can't stand it. Stop. My God, it's such an overrated – to a certain degree, they're an overrated organization. They really, really are. It's an overrated organization. I mean, they really are. So, and let me tell you something. There's going to come a time when this whole thing is going to collapse on them. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. No, well, me and you both are in agreement that this team is just not constructed. And you're looking at two things here. You're looking at two things next year. If if they don't win a World Series, get to a World Series maybe, 
or they struggle again in the playoffs. You're looking at Cashman's job and Boone's job. Bye-bye. It's time for a new regime there. Yeah, I don't know about Cashman. Boone, I could see. At some point, you got you got to cut bait with Cashman too after a while because you know what? You're not building yourself a World Series winner because all you're doing is spending $200 million a year and you're not getting what you need out of it. $200 million a year, you at least want to get to the World Series. Yeah, you know what the funny part is? Is that I think Cashman has his hand in the pot more than Aaron Boone does as far as how this team is constructed and the decisions that are made, yet Aaron, Goat, uh, Aaron Boone will be the first scapegoat. Right, but you know what? That makes it all the more reason why you fire Cashman because he's got he's got 99% of the say here. So yeah. even, even more of a reason. Listen, he's been here for a long time. He's had a hell of a run here, and he'll get a job somewhere else. But at some point, you gotta, you got you to gotta change it. you got to change it up. You got to so, change it up. Real quick, uh, we're going to wrap it up, but yeah. real quick, the one thing we didn't get to was uh, the Rangers were able to come to terms with Tony D'Angelo, brought him back on a two-year deal. Yeah, they uh, got him actually on a good on a good deal. Him and, yeah, and friendly contract. Yeah, it was a, it was a team friendly contract for sure, and they brought back Alexander Gorgiev, and you know they they probably gave him a little bit more than what he probably wanted them to give him, but you know between what him and D'Angelo signed for, it kind of equaled out, and they just have Brendan Lemieux. Probably to sign, which they probably will sign him to a, another team-friendly deal. He won't get anything more than, you know, probably a little bit less than $2 million. And, you know, the big thing is is Ryan Strom. What happens with him? And if his arbitration figure is too high, the Rangers just might walk away. Uh, by the way, that was uh, Brandon Lau's second home run of the game. Oh, well, finally. He's been, he's been due. He's been cold as ice. Yeah, he hit one in the first inning and then one in the fifth. But, been yeah, they had ice. to bring back D'Angelo. I, I think – We've talked about how the Rangers are lacking that toughness and grit. The only kind of person they had on the team that possesses that was Lemieux. Well, and he's not a guy who's going to make that much degree. money. No. I mean, look, you, you still want to see them develop a third and fourth line, which they have not. You know, you, you want to see something develop here. And I'll tell you something. This is going to be a critical year for David Quinn here. It really is. Because I would have to think that, you know, you're going to have to see some sort of development with this team. I don't think it's going to be uh, uh, um, uh, somebody just went yard for the Dodgers. Who was that? Chris Taylor? First hit that Snell gave up. Yep, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have to see some sort of – I don't think you're going to get an 80-game season here in the NHL because I think the NHL is going to probably start around January. You'll probably get like a 60-game season, maybe 65 if we're lucky. You know, Rangers are going to have to – they're going to have to make some, you know, some progress here. Uh, they're going to have to see some progress, this organization. I think I think Quinn's going to be on a bit of a short leash. I get a funny feeling. I really, really do. I, they're going to have to see some development out of this team, particularly on the defensive end. And if they don't, after 30 games, you might see a bit of a change here, Andrew. It wouldn't shock me. Let's not forget, he came from the college ranks. So, you know, he, he's a development type of coach, but at some point you want a, an NHL coach. You know that that's been through, that's been through the wars. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I get what you're saying. Like you have a de, you have a developmental coach, but it, it at some point it can't just be constant development. You have to see right. results. You got to take um, that next step. You know, I'm just clinging on to the fact that before the shutdown, before the pandemic, they were playing their best hockey yes. since they started the rebuild. So you just got to hope that. I know they got trounced by Carolina in the postseason, and they weren't built to beat Carolina. That's fine, but. Um, you know, I'm just I'm clinging on to the fact that they pick up where they left off last season. They're bringing back the same exact roster for all intents and purposes. I mean, 
Lundqvist was not the starter towards the end of the season when they were playing no. that good hockey. So Lundqvist no. being gone is not a big deal. Um, you know, Mark Stahl has seen a reduction in ice time over the years as he's gotten older. So his loss is, is really not a big one. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm starting to hear some some rumors, and I don't know how much traction that they have. I'm starting to see some rumors about them potentially using the next buyout window to buy out Brendan Smith, which I would not do. I wouldn't I would do just, that. I would just bite the bullet on the final year of his deal. I I think they're gonna I think they are gonna bite the bullet and keep him because you got to remember he's a two way play. He could also move up and play forward. Which I he's, I ultimately he, think that they're probably gonna do if they're probably gonna put proven. him on a third fourth line. He, he's proven he could play he could play some forward and, you, and then you could draft seven defense you could uh, draft seven defensemen if you want and move Smith up to forward if you had to. And he's proven he could play as as a fourth line player. Why not? But again, let's develop that third and fourth line. So, all right. So, anyway, it was a good show. We spoke a lot of, you know, we had a lot of uh, topics we covered here, and we'll, we got the NBA draft coming up soon. Correct, right? What's the NBA draft? October? Uh, was it October, November? I don't even know what the hell day it is. Uh, the NBA draft is uh, November 18th. I want to say. Oh, it is that far into it? Really? Yeah, it's right before. It's like the week before Thanksgiving. I'm pretty sure. Oh wow! Okay, I thought it was going to be sooner than that. I, I, before I, I mean, not that I paid a lot of attention, but getting closer to the draft, I'll pay a little bit more attention right, with the Knicks know. because I'm sure the Knicks are going to be looking to make some moves, and whether or not they're rumored to be bringing in Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony. I mean, I was, can't we bring, was, uh, can't we bring in right, some young guys? November 18th is the date. 18th, okay. Yeah. Can we bring in some young guys? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things to look forward to still. I mean, I know that these. Uh, Obviously, you had hockey end. You're going to have baseball end within the next week. You had basketball end. So everything is coming to a close, and you just have football as far as games being played. But then the offseason starts, and there's certainly a lot of talking points. What these teams do in the offseason, the NBA draft, um, what the pandemic, what kind of impact it has on salary cap issues in certain sports, and also what they're going to do because they're going to be starting later than they normally start. So what they're going to do in terms of trying to get as, as much of a season in as they possibly can. So um, a lot of things to look forward to in the future. Real quick before we go, I have to ask you because I ask you all the time. What's on the docket for the corporation this week? Jesus, I tell you, I'm, 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 I haven't you're been gonna, doing you're well. In a, you're in a three-game slide, aren't you? Three yeah, slide. yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm no good right now. I'm, and you actually followed right your now. gut this past weekend, and it didn't work I, out. I, yeah, it didn't work out. I'll tell you the truth. This is a tough week again this week. Uh I started to look at the lines here and there, and you know what you know, I would have done if I was you. Flip now a coin. Can you? Uh, you could put in a, your your pick as early as you want, right? Yes. What I would have done is as soon as the Thursday night line opened up, the Giants were plus six and a half. I would have locked that one in. It's down to four now. I I can't. I never take the Giants. Ever. It's double misery for me then. Well, taking everybody else hasn't worked out for you. This yeah, I know. I understand that. But but then I'm getting double the misery. You know, I don't yeah, need double the no, misery I, in my life. I, no, I understand. I get you. You know what I mean? I, what do I need double misery for? I like Carolina getting seven and a half against New Orleans. Just Carolina at first glance. On seven and a half. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, I mean – and I do I do kind of like Kansas City laying the nine and a half against Denver. That's in Denver, right? Yeah, it's in Denver. Yep. Yeah, these yeah, are a lot of tough I mean, games again. Tough game. You know, these divisional games, especially when the other teams at home are tough with these big lines. You know, Chiefs, Broncos, divisional game. You know, and that nine and a half is almost teasing you. It's teasing you because you feel like it should be. 
why not ten and a half? It's it's nine and a half. It's like, oh wow, it's not ten. Like, yeah, oh, you're can, not gonna get screwed by the hook. It's only nine yeah. and a half, right? Yeah, nine it's and a half. Or you could that. even buy it down to nine. I, I hate that. It's almost like it's toying with you. You know, I, I think Green Bay can bounce back against Houston this week. Win big. Only laying three and a half. That, that again, that hook is scary, but Yeah, I mean I, I like Green Bay to bounce back. I really, really do. I think they should bounce back, but this Texan team is weird, man. I mean, they could score. They can't play defense, but by and all, by all accounts, just Packers should win this game big. I'll be honest with you. They should. They should. They really should win this game big. So, all right, I we'll think, wrap I it think, up. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't quickly mention that right now the line for Jets Chiefs in Week Eight is Kansas City Tw- minus twenty-two. 22. Yep. Twenty-two. I've seen that earlier. Yeah. Unreal. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-two. Unbelievable. And on that note, we will close things out on episode thirty-two. Can you believe it? Thirty-two episodes already. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. We're gonna have to have a, a little bit of a party, a little bit of a champagne celebration for fifty. Fifty is a big milestone. Once we get yeah. to a hundred, you know what we got to do? It's a hundred. We got to start having people join us. Everyone who's been listening for all the first 99. Have a whole little uh, four score of Palooza. Yeah, we should do it. We should do a live a live show and invite people over. We'll have a party. We'll have some sponsors. We'll give away some some merchandise, four score merchandise. We'll do it in the parking lot of the Strata. There we go. Not for nothing. You still owe me a Lestrada dinner from our Super Bowl bet. I didn't forget about that. I know. I know. Whatever you want. We'll go next week. That's fine. All right. As always, always, you can follow me on Twitter at AndrewMay underscore 21. Uh, On Instagram as well, A underscore May 21. Episode 32 is in the books. Rob and I will be back as always next week. We'll recap everything uh, NFL for week seven. Um, By that time – next Wednesday, um, if the series goes seven, if the World Series goes seven, um, then that game will be going on as we record. Normally we do our episodes Wednesday night. Um, if it doesn't, then we'll be able to break down the World Series so that'll be a big talking point as well. Um, and like Rob said before, as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft, certainly a talking point to discuss what direction the Knicks should go in moving forward too. So thanks everybody for listening. Rob Jufre, I'm Andrew May. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>